no more room in hell. The dead will start a podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to No More Room in Hell number 25. I'm Mike, and with me, as always, it's Mr. Venom, Jerry Cortez. How are you doing, Venom? Greetings and salutations, fans of Asian psychotic cinema. How you doing, Mike? I was wondering how you, because you usually always do the intro with some type of relation to what the movies are. I was like, what exactly is he going to say for these ones? But yeah. that fits. That definitely fits. I was going to go Asian that. cinematic classics, but some people might disagree. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And then also joining us as always, it's Derek. What are you doing, Derek? Oh, man, I'm a cold one. <laughs> Awesome. The usual. Ninety one still on my brain, like, you know. Um, well, you got a couple hours to down as many as you can, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and then also let's welcome back to the show. You know him from twenty two shots, probably many appearances on Fresh Cuts, which will hopefully continue sometime in the future. It's moods. How you doing, moods? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing really, really good. Back for some more asinine Asia cinema. Um, I think last time I was on the show, we did zero. And, uh, well, the other film wasn't Asian. But, um, yeah, man, I'm glad to be back. I think it's only my second time I've been here. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah, man. It's always good uh, to have you back, Moods. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, and this is so. this is episode number 25. I just want to say... Before we get into the show further, this is uh, No More Room in Hell's debut on Dark Discussions Network. So if anyone's listening uh, through that network for the first time, welcome to the show. Hopefully you enjoy it. There, there has been a couple episodes of our uh, sister podcast, Fresh Cuts, on there already. So you probably are at least familiar with myself and Venom, if you've heard those. Um, Derek, have you already had episodes of other shows on there already? And out? Uh, a few episodes of Cinema Attack and one episode of Cellulite Dissections, but uh, I, know, I, guy, I know you guys know what happened to that show. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, unfortunately, Cellulite Dissections is not continuing on. Uh, I feel bad because Phil made a nice mm-hmm. new feed for us, but eh, it's whatever. But we it's nothing bad that ever happened between us. It's just we just decided it's time for a change and we are moving on with a brand new show in the future so that's always good in the books and it's gonna be fun that's something kind of related to what we're doing today so that's always good in the books that's i don't want to really announce it yet because we're still gonna figure out the format and stuff and all that good shit in the future of that but yeah i had the cinema attack and uh of course they're here it debuted there a few weeks ago so always good Cool. That's good. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, I feel like a lot of listeners to a lot of the shows kind of run in the same circles anyway. So I'm sure people are familiar with most of us, all of us, our shows, even, you know, 
whether they listen or not, they've probably seen a show up somewhere before. Uh, a lot of us on Dark Discussions now came over from Horrorphilia, so I'm sure a lot of the listeners were already listening anyway. Just had to switch where they get the uh, source from. But anyways, if there are new people that just started listening through the Dark Discussions feed, <clears throat> welcome. Welcome to hell. Is, is this show <laughs> so, actually going to make yeah. its debut on Dark Discussions? Because I'm on the show. Yeah, <laughs> because yeah, that's right. That's funny. I, that, I I was thinking about that earlier today. And I totally forgot about that aspect of it. But yeah, I think that, that's uh, really funny. I think it will be allowed. So <laughs> if 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 that gets updated, and I I guess on episode twenty six, we'll have to explain why this one didn't go. But right, I right. don't think it will be a problem. Hopefully. But, uh, yeah, so let's get into it, I guess. We'll do what we always do here. We'll start with our rotation of what we watch. Usually we do three. We have four people on the show today. So uh, we'll we'll start with two. If we got stuff left that we really want to get into, we'll throw those in afterwards. But Venom, kick it to you. What do you got? All right. Well, the first thing I was going to talk about is a rather new werewolf movie that came out about, I'd say, maybe a month ago. This one, obviously a lot of people are talking about The Wolf of Snow Hollow. This is not that film. This film is called A Werewolf in England. This one is solidly, well, much like Wolf of Snow Hollow, this is a horror comedy, though the horror, the, the comedy in this one isn't so overt. Like, it, it's not as... Uh, heavy-handed and attempt at comedy. This one takes this one's a period piece takes place in merry old England as the title suggests and obviously, you know, we're dealing with some people and a group of werewolves. Um, there's not really a whole hell of a lot to the story that, you know, I'd be able to really talk about in a spoiler-free way. But just, you know, the basic points are going to be it's a period piece, it's a werewolf film. It's a horror comedy, so it's definitely, you know, once you kind of are on board with the comedy aspect of it, it's a fairly fun movie. My biggest issue with it, for anybody who's seen it, is the werewolves themselves. Holy shit. These werewolves literally look like they rented their uh, werewolf costumes from a Halloween shop about an hour before filming. They look awful. And what's funny is that this movie has legitimate gore. It's got, it actually has a couple of um, fairly tense scenes in it, too. But then when the werewolves show up, it just turns into a comedy. It's kind of like any time in Troll 2 when the goblins would show up, you couldn't help but laugh. And, you know, as scary as they were trying to be, as menacing as they were trying to be, you just had to laugh. And that's exactly how I felt about this movie. Now, obviously... That could be an intentional choice by the filmmakers, as it is a horror comedy, but it just, I, I felt like the tone of the film was all over the place. There'd be scenes where, where they were, oh, how can I put it, like legitimately tense and dark scenes um, that, you know, would fit into any horror film, and then they try to break it up with comedy that almost doesn't fit. Like, you know, the, the standard formula in a horror film is usually you give them a scare and then you give them a laugh to kind of offset the scare right away. This one, I don't know. It's like they were doing it backwards at times. They were, um, 
they were just changing tone out of nowhere. I know this movie is getting a lot of really good reviews, and the movie is not terrible. It, I, I would call it middle of the road. It, it just doesn't work for me as much as um, it's been working for a lot of people, especially with some of the positive reviews that I'm seeing it get. Uh, this is a 2020 film. It is currently available on VOD. I don't believe it's streaming anywhere. Um, did any of you guys see uh, A Werewolf in England? Not yet. I, it has a very interesting cover, I know that. Yeah, that's why I watched it, because the cover's great. <laughs> I don't know I've that the I've actually seen the other one. I've seen the other one you brought up. The, yeah, I saw that one, hollow. too, but I figured... I, I, I wasn't sure if somebody was going to bring that up, because that's like, that's like werewolf uh, flavor of the week, so I figured I'd leave that one alone. Uh, I, I haven't checked it out, man. I, I, honestly, I saw the title, and I was like, man, that thing was just... It was making me run the other way. <laughs> that, that's just it's not a great title and honestly like just seeing you know american or werewolf in england I, it seems like everything i've watched from the uk in the last like this whole year has not been good so that was just kind of making me run too so yeah I, i'm not uh, i'm not positive that you would enjoy this one like i said yeah. um it, they don't take the horror as seriously as they should and they don't give the comedy as much levity as they should um it's I'm become not... kind of a staple in the werewolf genre the, the these last few years though like there's very little serious werewolf films mm-hmm. right like the majority of the films that are coming out are comedy based i mean whether you're looking at wolf cop to you know the you know the latest one that we just watched like they're pretty much all comedy based. I don't know why they can't make serious werewolf films well, anymore. The last one I could think of is probably like late phases and maybe yeah. how to extend how was kind of serious. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's, and that's true. You know, that's two serious films that, you know, with mixed in into like, you know, 50 or 60 of them kind of thing. Right. That's bad. Yeah. yeah. They're no, so they far between, so far between. I mean, some of them are good and some of them are bad. I, I personally really enjoy the wolf cop movies. It's not because, mm-hmm. you know, I'm Canadian. They're Canadian. I think they're legitimately hilarious and they're fun, but I just, I would like to see a little bit more serious werewolf films because some of the best ones out there are the serious ones. Hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I definitely wish that this one had a little bit more of a serious tone. Cause like I said, there's some decent gore in here. So it seems like they could have put together if they wanted to just avoid all the comedy together and make it a really dark period piece. Um, I feel like they could have, I mean, the score is halfway decent. There's scenes in here that are actually epically scored, but then, like I said, the werewolves come in and you just have to laugh. And it just ah, it just it bothers me so much. And and guys, I'm not exaggerating. I'm dead serious. Like you'll be watching this movie. It looks like it was shot by someone competent. You've got some decent cinematography. Like I said, the score is really cool. But then it literally looks like a high school play of uh, Little Red Riding Hood jumps in in the middle because these the fucking werewolf costumes. And then the headpieces don't look like they fit the bo- like they match the bodies. So literally. So <laughs> so you're saying that it's the same costume as Suburban Sasquatch? Um, pretty close. Yeah, I'd have to say. <laughs> it I almost sounds like it, this movie could have benefited from having CG werewolves at this uh, point. Kind of, actually, yes. <laughs> at, at least maybe CG the head so that they match the fucking <laughs> body. I, it literally looks like it's two different costumes that they just kind of Frankenstein together. And there's a bunch of them. It's not like it's one werewolf. There's a group of them. There's at least three, four, five, something like that in it. And they all look terrible in their own unique little way. But 
Man, so uh, like I said, if you're into the horror comedy, especially when the comedy is very heavy-handed, um, you may enjoy A Werewolf in England. For me, I gave it a middle-of-the-road. If I rated it, it would be a middle-of-the-road rating. Probably not something I'd watch again, but it, it is short. It's only like 82 minutes long, so at least, you know, you, you get through it quick. And like I said, some of the comedy works, some of it makes you roll your eyes, but for whatever it's worth, uh, you've got some decent gore, and look out for Sub-Zero's fatality from Mortal Kombat in the movie. It's glorious. <laughs> <laughs> so, what what did you like better, this one or Snow Hollow? Wolf of Snow Hollow. Oh, man, I have my issues with Wolf of Snow Hollow as well. Um, oh, I do not like any of the characters in that film. I, you know, I, that, that seems to be the main consensus with the movie and stuff. And it, it took me, you know, a good few minutes to figure out um, the characters in the film and, and what the tone was going to be. But after I got past that and realized what it was all about and stuff, I, I was like, you know, it's actually pretty fucking fun. It's definitely awkward at times, yeah. for sure. The comedy is offbeat and awkward. And, you know, some of the tones don't even really match up at times, but I think it just kind of adds to the flair of it a little bit. It's an it, odd I, it's an odd movie. Yeah, for I, I could see how it could um how it could work for a lot of people. For me, I just it was a frustrating watch for me because I thoroughly abhorred our main character. I fucking hated him. I just wanted him to die as slowly and violently as possible, and I fucking never got my wish. Uh no spoiler. Um <laughs> uh it's just and then the ending itself just really, I don't know. I don't want to say it's a letdown because I understand it's a horror comedy and that ending makes no, sense. No, it was a letdown. Uh, but <laughs> it was uh, but, yeah, my main problem was the ending. <laughs> yeah, uh, the ending wasn't even my main problem. It was definitely the main character. I thought Robert Forrester, at, the actor, did a fine job with his character, but his character was an asshole too. Literally, every cop uh, were either lazy, stupid. Um, un uninterested. The only cop, the only, literally the only likable character in the whole fucking movie was the female cop, who at least made me chuckle a few times throughout the movie. I thought she did a great job. But even the fucking daughter, uh, just complete, excuse my French, total little cunt in this film. <laughs> and, and honestly, I walk away from uh, The Wolf of Snow Hollow feeling like this is a movie about a man who can't treat anyone in his entire life uh, with any kind of uh, respect or sensibility, and there's a well, that's also that shows he up. doesn't have that for himself either. Right? Like oh, I understand, yeah. and I understand that they were going for a kind of a sympathetic character because obviously mm -hmm. his mother died young, his father probably was very overbearing as he was growing up. Oh. Blah 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 blah. But it's still a conscious decision to be an asshole. That guy wakes up every morning consciously and says, I'm going to be an asshole today. And that's where the movie bothers me. At every fucking turn, he would do something that would take me completely out of the movie. And the thing is, is that I love all the horror set pieces, like everything involving the quote unquote wolf. And, you know, any any of the deaths early on in the film, the police investigation, I loved all of that. But then when you start giving me actual character development, and it's like every character in the movie is just a piece of garbage, Man. who do I have to root for? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I get that. I get that. I feel like, you know, I've said this many, many times about films, too, that I always want somebody to root for in a film. And, and every once in a while, there's an exception to the rule. And I feel like this is the type of movie where you just I, I feel like I have to kind of accept what Jim Cummings was doing with, you know, directing this film and, you know, the direction he took and, you know, the character that he created and stuff. And I, I feel like it is supposed to be sympathetic, but at the same time, it's supposed to kind of make you go, whatever. 
you know. But that's the thing. I can't do that. I can't go whatever. For some odd reason, I generally can't either. But for some odd reason, it was just the odd tone and it was the offbeatness of it. And I understood kind of the character after about, you know, good 30, 40 minutes. I was like, okay, I I see what he's trying to do with this. And uh, I kind of accepted it and stuff. And honestly, dude, I didn't really have a problem with the ending. I'm actually kind of glad it went that route. I know that's probably not a popular opinion at all. Because, I mean, in in reality, in hindsight, we've seen these type of movies all the time. And it goes exactly the way that you're thinking it's going to go. And I'm kind of glad. But then, you know, I was thinking about it the next day. And I was like, damn, man. So the way they went with the ending, I'm not going to get into spoilers. But Mm -hmm. thinking back on the killings and stuff. And I'm like, what the fuck? (laughs) Like When you put those killings... Yeah, that's what in I mean. Perspective to what the the reveal is, you're like, what the fuck? Like that and, shit is like, it kind of makes you scratch your head a little bit, and you're like, damn, dude, that doesn't seem. I mean, that just seems insane to me, but I don't know. Right, right. I like and, these and, and I also want to clarify too that I'm not when I say I'm not a fan of the ending, it's not because of the main point of the ending, the big reveal. It's how it was revealed to us. I don't like how you know our 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 cop. And our suspect are literally in his house having a conversation. And then out of nowhere, the reveal is basically the guy comes out of the shadows wearing something. And it's just Yeah, like, you know what, man? Ah, I did have a problem with that, on. too. I actually I had a little bit of a problem with that, too. But I wasn't, like, disappointed in the fact that of what it was, though. But, yeah, no, they're, no. They're actually, I, I actually agree with that. 100% though. Yeah, yeah. That. So it's definitely not the swerve so much as just how it was presented to us. I felt like they could have... Um, maybe done a more action-filled set piece that could reveal, you know, what the mystery of the whole thing was. And it could have been a little bit more satisfying is all. That's all. Yeah. Um, Yeah, Overall, it's not a bad film. It's just... Yeah, no, I I couldn't help but watching this movie thinking, like, I'm a huge, huge Coen's Brothers fan, right? And Uh, immediately, you get that Fargo-type vibe. Like, it's not exactly like Fargo, narrative-wise, or anything, but it's just, you know, kind of the offbeat characters and the strangeness of, you know, like, the tone is just weird, right? And Fargo mixed with a werewolf-type film, you know, and so I was kind of digging that. Like, I like the setting. I like, you know, Robert Forster. It was cool to see Robert Forster. It's sad that he passed away, I think. I think the day this movie was released, actually. I think that's what the story is. I think he died the day it was released. It's crazy. And so that's kind of sad because Robert Forrest is actually one of my favorite actors of all time. I've loved him in everything that he's been in. He's just so great. Especially Dragon Wars, huh? (laughs) (laughs) Give him a pass. Come on. (laughs) He's done some movies, you know, but But I'm not talking about I don't like every movie that he's in. I actually like him and everything. He's just one of those guys that just kind of. I just I just kind of buy into what he's doing every time, but yeah, he is kind of a dick. And does <laughs> he like his character? I mean, my soul, Irene. Oh God, <laughs> that movie actually has some pretty funny parts in it, though. I, I won't lie. Yeah. Uh, all right. So but you know, go. I I completely on my first one. Yeah, I completely understand. You know how this movie would be a complete mixed bags for sure. I mean, the, the tone of it alone is just going to throw people off yeah, for sure. Not so being able to figure out. You know, uh, like I said, with Werewolf of England or a Werewolf in England, it was very obvious within a few minutes that they're that it's very tongue in cheek. Like this movie is a horror comedy, but it's not really tongue in cheek. It's not that type of comedy. It's definitely a drier, more. Mm-hmm you know, almost deadpan style of comedy, mm-hmm. which, you know, works for some people. I just don't think that style of comedy works in a horror comedy. Um, I, and, and I'm sure I'm in the minority on that one, which is fine. But yeah, I'm, I'm very touchy when it comes to my horror comedies, um, as far as the balance between the two. And yeah, that one just didn't work for me. That's all. 
Mm-hmm. Good so. All right. Well, that was almost like a mini Fresh Cuts segment ah. since it's a new our new movie. Two, I mean. two movies, yeah. Two. <laughs> Both of them, yeah. Uh, all right, Derek. How about you? Oh, I actually have new movies to talk about. Ironically enough, Michael's like, you don't watch any new movies, Derek. Well, I got new ones for you now, so fuck off, Mike. Um, uh, let's hear. I got one. I got one in from Wilgo USA that I checked out. It's called Broil. I think this is like a Canadian film, actually. Uh, you know, it's actually produced by one of the actors, uh, as I like to call him, the Canadian Jake Busey, Logan Monroe. <laughs> I haven't heard of this one. <laughs> It's, it's it's very interesting. It's kind of like a fantasy horror film in a way. Uh, it's about this girl named Chance who's, like, in her teens. I think she's, her birthday is coming up in a, a year. She, and pretty much what ends up happening is there's a meeting between her grandfather and her parents. And you can see there's some shady things going on in the background. And pretty much, as we find out, Chance is kind of, Getting in trouble in school, and she beats the shit out of one of the kids that was spoiled boiler than her. And uh, she comes home. Her mom and dad talk to her after meeting with her grandfather. And they say, you have to go live with your grandfather. It's part of this deal that we made with him. And you have to stay there until you're 18. Here comes around, and pretty much we find out that there's this special dinner that the whole family attends called the Harvest a year later. And pretty much what's going on in the background is Chance's parents are actually trying to get a hold of the family business, per se, hold of the family leadership. And... They hire this chef in the background to try to poison the dad. That's when all the shit goes sour. And we find out that this family is not your normal family. They're something else. I don't want to really spoil it. But let's just say you'll see the side effects of some of the things that they are early in the movie. Uh, Yeah, this is kind of a... The way I would describe this, it's kind of like a fantasy horror mixed with like a movie like the invitation because you have like all these characters coming to like this dinner party type deal and mm-hmm. it's kind of fucked up when we find out revealed what they are in <laughs> uh and you know they go into kind of like the backstory of the chef mm-hmm. it's like flashback scenes where we see him and his mentor who's played by Logan monroe in this movie uh going into the scheme of it and you know there's some backstabbing through all the. I kind of like these type of movies that have backstabbing characters backstabbing each other throughout it. And, you know, uh, the movie's not perfect by any means. Uh, one thing that kind of annoyed me is near the ending, it started having, like, this weird, happy Disney fantasy fucking music playing through, like, like you know, like Sleeping Beauty, like... Uh, I'm like, whoa, but then I get some fucking weird gore scenes in this, too, and uh, some fucked up deaths and reveals. Uh, and, you know, there's this weird element, too, which I might need a second watch on, where it's kind of like in a limbo-type world. That's all I'll give away uh, mm-hmm. that I don't understand completely. But it was an interesting movie. It kept me engaged, and it was kind of funny because the head... Uh, person the grandfather is played by that guy who's in the old walking dead commercials for the contest for the car <laughs> you want to survive you know it's like <laughs> uh, it was like fucking dying because i recognize him from those old walking dead commercials uh 
I enjoyed it. Uh, it's kind of hard to talk about it because you don't want to really give away what these characters actually are in the plot. Maybe I could tell you guys awesome here what they are, but it's a cool movie. Cool. I wish I had more to say, but I never even heard of it. And yeah, I don't know that from one. what you just said. <laughs> Sounds interesting, though. Yeah, it, look, I'm looking at the back cover of it, and you know, there's like this scene where they're all sitting at the dinner table, and they actually wear like face cloths over their head, and this light is glowing. It's kind of like a seance type scene, and uh, yeah, it goes some places, and there's some weird things, but you know, it's hard to talk about without actually giving away what these key characters are uh but you know it's kind of foretold and you know it's actually funny when the grandfather gives us other names and you're like oh okay that makes sense but it's a cool movie Hmm. i will add that to the list to check out um what about you moods what do you got up um yeah, I was thinking about doing some newer ones, but I'm going to take it back to the 70s with my first film here, uh, specifically 1974 with a TV film called Killdozer. <laughs> oh, um, I just got the Blu-ray in, and believe it or not, I've actually never seen... I've always known about this movie, but I've never actually seen the movie before. Um, it, it did have, like a, I think, a burn-on-demand DVD release before or something like that, but I was like, fuck that. I'm not picking that shit up. But, um, it was just one of those ones that wasn't really readily available to see very easily. Hence being a TV film, uh, directed by Jerry London, who's like a journeyman TV movie slash TV show director and stuff. He's got endless, endless credits starring Clint Walker, Carl Betts, Neville, Neville brands in this movie. Um, Robert Urch. There's lots of familiar faces in this from TV and movies and stuff. And, um, basically Killdozer is pretty much exactly what it sounds like. It's about a possessed, uh, uh, bulldozer basically that goes on a killing rampage. Um, it's about these guys that are on this like Pacific kind of tropical island doing um, some construction work. They're actually building like an airstrip on this island. And uh, so they're digging and doing their job and stuff. And they come across this pretty much what is like a meteorite that's buried in um, uh, kind of on the, in the sand somewhere. Uh, they hit it with a little bit and it kind of triggers it. And it basically, I don't, it, it's not even really explained. It just kind of possesses the the bulldozer and it comes alive and it starts killing off people one by one. Um, it's such a damn fun movie, man. It's a short ass movie. I was surprised. I was like watching this shit and all of a sudden it was over. It only runs like 74 minutes, but it's uh, straight to the point. I can't help. You know, this movie basically has this exact same storyline as Maximum Overdrive, one of Venom's very, very favorite movies in the world. Gonna scare um, the hell out of you. I can't help but notice the similarities. And, you know, of course, this was obviously done years and years before Stephen King, you know, even wrote the, the short story for Maximum Overdrive and directed the movie. Um, but it's the same thing. I mean, it has to do with like a meteor. I think in the we talked about this actually the other night, Venom. I think in Maximum Overdrive, it, it's dealing with a comet that kind of fucks up everything, all the electronics and stuff. But in this this film it's like a meteorite that it's crashed and something to do i think they kind of allude to it might even been like in this ancient ruins and stuff and something happens it's not really explained as a tv film um but it's pretty fun though dude it's literally these guys it's like man versus machine and shit and it's it's utterly ridiculous you know like the whole actually the end scene where it's basically like a machine it's like a machine battle off you know (laughs) you can outdo the other one it's awesome, dude. It's so great. It's got some pretty awesome music. I think it even has like an original score to it too, which is really shocking. But it's shot really well. It's acted really well. And it's got um, fucking Clint Walker in it, motherfucker. Yeah, Cheyenne. 
it's got Clint Walker in it. But, and it, so it's got really good performances and shit. I mean, it's utterly ridiculous, the idea and stuff. But at the same time, like, that's, that's what makes the movie completely fun. You know, it's a really small cast. It's like literally like five people in this movie, but it's really, um, it's entertaining as shit, man. I love Neville Brand as Chubb Foster. He plays like the mechanic in this and he's just, he's Neville Brand in this man, you know, Neville he's Brand probably just being in every movie. Yeah, man. I think he was probably drunk in this. It's kind of funny. There actually is a drunk character in this, but it's actually not Neville Brand, but, um, but yeah, overall pretty fun kills, you know, not overly that crazy. It's not very graphic and stuff. Hence going back to what I said before, it's a TV film. So you're not going to get any of that, but it's just a fucking fun ass watch. I, I recommend kill dozer. If you like these type of movies, especially if you like, you know, maximum overdrive, which I'm a huge fan. M- uh, Venom, you might actually like this one a lot better considering there's no, oh, I don't wow. know if you if you've I seen actually it love Killdozer. Yeah, it's it's fun, right? It's like it's super, it's ridiculous. And I love the look of like the actual Killdozer too. It's just it's awesome. It it's just looks amazing. I mean, it's a typical machine, but it just it, they make it look the way it's filmed in the film. They make it look like it's the biggest machine in the history of machines. It's awesome, right? So it's kind of like the it's kind of like the grizzly bear and grizzly where you know, <laughs> they use a six foot bear for real, and they, and they they claim it's eighteen feet tall. <laughs> it's like the stupidest thing ever. <laughs> but I mean, it's not that ridiculous, but, uh, yeah, kill those are fun ass movie, man. I mean, not really a whole lot to say about it. It's, um, man versus machine set on an Island. It's cool, man. It's really fun. But the real question is machine. But the real question is who made who you right. made who? Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty awesome. I think the last time I saw kill Dozer, there, there was like actually a rip of it on YouTube. And I was oh. like, I might've even been at work and just wanted like some background, stuff going on and you know because you're at work you don't want to put on anything too like crazy or graphic so i was like oh shit killdozer and i knew you know being a made for tv movie there's not going to be anything too absurd so i was like i'll just throw that on and watch it yeah it's a fun tv movie yeah, it is. It's really fun. I mean, this is the like the golden age of TV horror mm-hmm. films, man. Early seventies and shit. Like, there's so many good ones around this time period. I mean, Bad Ronald, Afraid of the Dark. Like, there's so many great ones, man. So, this one definitely falls into there. Super fun. And the transfer, yeah. I got to say, man, about uh, from the Kino Blu-ray is ridiculous. It just looks so good, so good. So, definitely worth picking up. So. Yeah, that was definitely the era of like TV horror movies when they played everything straight. They tr- they he attempted to make them as serious pos- serious as possible. Um, so yeah, very very good one. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so my first one up. There's been a recent remake of this, but I actually watched this with my kids before the remake dropped on HBO Max, and that would be The Witches from 1990. Mm-hmm. So sometimes what I usually do in the month of October, because you know the actual holiday of Halloween is coming up, so. I'll try to find stuff that I can watch with my kids. Mine, they're still pretty young, so obviously I'm not going into hardcore horror movies with them just yet. And they're still kind of building their own interests and stuff. And The Witches is a pretty good one. Uh, I mean, I remember it came out when I was 10 years old, so I had seen it a bunch as a kid. It used to air all the time on TV. Uh, Angelica Houston as a as the main witch is excellent i mean she's a great actress anyway but she uh was very great in this the practical makeup effects were good and man for like a kids movie they go pretty hardcore against children in this one like they don't really pull punches when the mission is to take out and eliminate children i was kind of shocked because i haven't even though i watched it a lot when i was young i I hadn't seen it in a long time and i kind of knew the overall 
story, but I was like, man, they their mission is to really just murder children. And uh, which is I, odd I, because witches usually want to eat children. Yeah, I, that that was always the thing that stuck about uh, stuck out about the witches to me because traditionally it's always been we eat children, but it, there they hate them, they hate their smell, they hate everything about them to the point that they literally just want to destroy children. So that that was definitely kind of a different take for me. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. I, I I really like the gag that they did when uh, the witch on the painting and she kept getting older oh. and then eventually disappeared and. Like, it's actually like really that. sad like, when you think about it. Jeez. It, well, it is for like a kid's movie to like do something like that. And just a constant reminder of she's trapped in there forever. And then she just basically fades away and dies. Um, yeah, I, I thought uh, the whole scenes where they were uh, the one, the, I guess the English friend kid after he eats the chocolate and gets turned into Who the knows? mouse. That was all. Yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. His name that was really well done. I was really impressed. Like a lot of these effects, the practical ones, they just hold up. They hold up really well, like surprisingly. So I, I haven't seen the HBO Max one I, from reviews. I I don't know. It seems like it's kind of mixed on what people have to say it, about it. It looks terrible. I when I saw the trail, it just it looks almost like they're more making just a comedy. Um, but you know, I can't say for sure without having seen it, but I'm just like, man, yeah, why? Like, I, I know Duncan's a big fan of this cause it's Nicholas Rouge who did like, don't look now. And, mm-hmm. you know, and you could tell too, cause you know, the, the thing about don't look now that's connected to this film, he has no, he gives no fucks. He kills a kid in the first five minutes of don't look now. It's like, this is movie's gonna be about pain and suffering. This one's, you know, it's kind of joyous and shit in this one. But Angelica Houston's fucking great in this movie. I love her in this movie. It's fucking great, and you know the Jim Henson effects by Jim Henson Company, fucking mm-hmm. fantastic. All those fucking practicals. Fucking yeah, this, love it. This is definitely the era where Angelica Houston got over with a new crowd because the witches, and then a couple years later, Adam's family and Adam's family values. So like I'm not a, a lot of new people probably learned who she was just from that group of movies themselves. <laughs> she was the '90s goth queen. <laughs> yes, oh yeah. <laughs> I haven't seen this movie in so long I can't even remember it. It's crazy. You gotta see it, movies. Pick up the Blu-ray, Nicholas Rouge, yo. Yeah, I do have the DVD, but yeah, I should probably upgrade that. Probably and, uh, the grandmother too. I thought I mean what actresses that plays the grandmother. I thought she did a great job. She has a she plays a lot of different emotions really well. Angry, sad, despair. Uh, I, I just thought she did a good job overall. And Angelica Houston's basically one note throughout the entire thing. But I understand she's the big name. She's the one that's going to attract people to it. But if, if we're talking about just sheer acting performance and range, I got to give it to the grandma in this movie. I thought Don't forget about you. Rowan Atkinson. Uh, Mr. Bean? He's one yeah. note, too. <laughs> yeah, but he's great, too. He's he great. Don't get me wrong. That one note is awesome, so I, I'll give him credit for that. But, yeah, uh, I, I wasn't even thinking about Mr. Bean being in there. Totally forgot. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I believe – where do we see – it, it might have been on Netflix that we saw it, where it's currently streaming. Yes, I, I would. I, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if it's not on like Direct TV's on demand too. But I think we saw it on Netflix. Yep. All right, back to you, Venom. All right, let's see the next thing. I want. What do I want to talk about next? I got a few things on my list here. Um, 
You know what? Let's knock out. This has actually been a really good month for fan films. So I'm going to talk about two quickies. Um, uh, one that's uh, very obvious, uh, but the other one that just kind of was dropped with no fanfare and I think is just as good. Uh, of course, the obvious one is, of course, based on the Friday the 13th franchise done by director Vincent DeSanti, who also plays Jason in these short films. And that is, of course, uh, series. This is the second chapter of that called Never Hike in the Snow. It was released on October 13th on YouTube, just like the first uh, movie was. Unfortunately, this movie is half the length of Never Hike, in, uh, Never Hike Alone which was the first one. Uh, Never Hike Alone was 55 minutes. This one's only 25. Um, and you don't really get a whole lot of story with this one. I feel like you got a lot more story set up with the first one. This one definitely feels like a middle chapter. Like It's basically just there so we could see Jason's antics throughout the winter. Um, but man, there are some pretty intense kills. And another thing that I'm really happy that Vincent DeSanti does with these fan films is that he's not scared to show Jason on camera. Um, the, you know, obviously the formula for a, a theatrical Jason movie is always, you know, we see him in the shadows, or we see his feet, or we see his just his hands for, like, the first act or two. And DeSanti, from the very opening scene of the film, there's Jason, broad daylight, holding a, you know, um, what do you call it, a bow and arrow, ready to take out another victim. It just, it's so glorious uh, to an old Friday fan like me, so, um, like I said, it's a short one, 25 minutes, not a whole lot to talk about. I assume at least a couple of you guys have seen Never Hike in the Snow. I have not yet. I have. Yeah. No, I, I'm, I'm really bad, honestly, dude. I, I'm kind of, I always kind of snub fan films. I don't know yeah. why. I, I, like, enjoy them. I've seen some pretty good ones, but I, the, the recent ones, I just didn't check out, so... Well, I mean, for whatever it's worth, the Never Hike series is probably, like, the the Cadillac of Friday the 13th fan films right yeah, now. Yeah, I did see the uh, first one. Yeah, yeah. So, there's more right now? Uh, just the, this is the second chapter. We will, okay. um, for those who don't know, uh, Rebecca Reinhardt and myself actually interviewed Vincent DeSanti on our Friday the 13th fan films episode of uh, In the Mic of Madness. Uh, that podcast is available on the Prescribed Films Podcast okay. Network, so check that out. I forget specifically what uh, episode number it was, but yeah, it's the, it's the Friday fan film episode. And he actually so, let us know uh, the plans for the franchise. We will eventually be getting four total. Okay, that's uh, what I was going to ask you. Yeah, yeah cool. we're going to be – so Never Hike in the Snow is like a side story. It's still part of the Never Hike series. But it's kind of like a side story that they wanted to do. So the next mm -hmm. one that we get is going to be Never Hike uh, Alone 2 or Never Hike Alone. Uh, not, they're not numbered. It's like Never Hike Alone again or ever again or something stupid like that. And then we are going to get the final of the uh, which will basically be the third part of the Never Hike Alone trilogy, mm -hmm. which will bring back more. Uh, Friday um, alumni. Obviously, we saw Tom Matthews in the first one uh, in, mm -hmm. in Never Hike in the Snow. Tom Matthews is back. We also get uh, the sergeant from Jason Lives, the, you know, the Yabang guy. I forget the character's really? name, but yeah, he's back in uh, Never Hike in the Snow. And from what I understand, uh, Vincent has more uh, plans to bring back alumni for the final chapter of this thing. And I think it's actually mm. called like the final hike, something like that. So, okay. uh, but yeah, look out. Uh, they're only going to be coming out one a year. So 
2021 and whole thing will be completed in 2022 but yeah if you haven't seen it check it out it's pretty good and then the other fan film i wanted to talk about is one that's not getting as much fanfare um and that is for uh just as big a horror franchise that is of course the halloween franchise and this fan film is called um, Happy Halloween, a Halloween Kills fan film. Um, it was released last week on YouTube. This one is short and sweet. It's only 13 minutes long, and it looks like it is a direct sequel to Halloween 2018. Because um, if you look really close, you'll actually see burn marks, um, you know, scorch marks on Michael's mask. But this uh, one, again, not much of a complete whole story. It's just, you know, Michael, um, you know, going through, you know, a, a group of people that he runs into after escaping the fire at the end of Halloween 2018. So, you know, not really a, hot, a lot of spoiler free stuff that I can talk about. But we do get a rather spectacular child death in this one. Anybody who listens to my shows knows I fucking love when children die in horror movies. It's one of the final taboos of our genre. And when they do it, I fucking love it. And they do it in this one, and they do it in spectacular fashion. No holds barred. So, um, like I said, check it out. It's only 13, 13 and a half minutes long. It's available now on YouTube. Once again, it is called Happy Halloween, a Halloween Kills fan film. Very well made. Great gore. Great mask. Check it out. Yeah, I'm I'm a big fan of uh, child murders, too, in, in horror films. <laughs> I would probably say that's why Halloween 3 is my favorite in the franchise, because the whole idea behind that is killing kids. It's crazy. <laughs> Mm-hmm. It's just very, very mean spirited at at the core of the narrative, man. It's crazy. Yeah, like I said, it's the final taboo. I mean, there's not much left to, that we can do to shock in the horror genre, you know, without getting an X rating, of course. So, mm-hmm. yeah, this is a I I, re, I I strongly recommend this one. Like I said, 13 minutes long, can't go wrong. And I, personally, I think it looks great. It's right up there with Never Hike Alone. So check. So it out. basically, what you're saying is the the child kill in this fan film made up for the one that they totally missed on. And how- <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Right. <laughs> I'm missing many other things. Not one, yeah. Two. Oh, okay. <laughs> <clears throat> oh, oh, all right, Derek. Yep. Yeah, so I checked out another new movie, so fuck off again, Mike. Uh, I checked out from Arsploitation Films, The Dead Ones. Uh, Moods probably knows this director. This is directed by Jeremy Chaston. Does that name ring the bell of Moods? Uh, I don't, like, personally know him or anything, but... Well, you just reviewed one of his movies on a show recently. Well, I also reviewed this movie, too, recently. Did you? Yeah, yeah. He, he he directed like the Wizard of Gore remake. He did also did like uh, the accidental tapes. Uh, this one, you know, it's about a kids as you know. It's kind of ambiguous what they're there for at first. Pretty much, it's like a detention center, like where these kids are going to clean their school after an event happened, and the event that we find out was a school shooting and it, it kind of plays with reality. It's very nightmare logic, the film in that sense. But the way I would describe this film, it's kind of like Baskin in a way without giving too much away where hmm. these kids 
pretty much they relive what's going on. They see like spirits and shit. And you know, there's also the school shooters that come back to wreak havoc on them. And who are they? We're going to find out as the film progresses. It's, it's kind of a hard film to talk about without spoiling too much, but it's kind of a cool concept for this type of story about like school, taking it into the school shooting range because it's been heavy subject matter in the last few years of our lives where all the shootings going on. It's kind of an interesting outlook for these type of movies. Moose, what did you think of the movie? Yeah, dude, I was totally tripping out when you said artsploitation. I thought you were going to say dead dicks. And all I heard was dead. And I was like, wait a minute. I didn't see this one yet. I never actually got this one from artsploitation. So um, I haven't seen this. Yeah, it's 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 kind of like. It's it's very interesting. It's kind of it's low budget. But, mm-hmm. You know, it's it, I kind of liked it. It's kind of like a nightmare logic film where these kids are trying to figure out who these other shooters are. It's kind of hard to talk about without really spoiling the reveal what's going on. It's kind of like an allegory film, and it's kind of like, you know, some of these kids might be able to redeem themselves and shit through this, because it's kind of like their own personal hell. They might be giving a little bit too much away the way I'm wording it. Okay, I see what you're saying. Yeah, But it's really cool. So if you think of Baskin, think of like kind of like that. Hmm. I, I liked it, though. The Dead Ones. It was actually... A, a pretty interesting film from a director who usually makes shitty movies. <laughs> For the most part, right? I mean, the Wizard of Gore remake was, oof, man, that shit's pretty bad. You know? You ever it's see All a, Souls Day? I did. With, with Mexican, Danny Trail. Yeah, I, it was like Anchor Bay, original Anchor Bay released that one. Um, yeah, I don't know. This guy's history isn't really the greatest, but uh, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it, it does. It does sound interesting. I remember I got the um, the press release for it from Artsploitation. It sounded okay, and I was like, "Yeah, they get if they send it to me, they send it to me." It, it's always hit and miss with Artsploitation. Sometimes yeah. they don't send it to me. So yeah, I hear you. I actually just got their new one in Welcome to the Circle. I still got to watch it. Yeah, I haven't got. I think the last thing I got was Dead Dicks, which was right out of the blue because I hadn't gotten gotten and you know received a few of the previous ones. So yeah, they're they're very odd with the releases. So. Yeah, I was actually like, I didn't even request these to just show up. I'm like, okay, thanks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I, I mean, that's the thing. Like, I never bothered. Like, I get the press releases. I never even respond to them. If they send them to me, they don't. They don't. That's fine. Yeah, I'm that's not one of those. I'm not one of those whores that has to get every fucking thing for free and shit. I'm like, it just doesn't matter to me. I don't yeah. care. So yeah, I, I feel yeah. You know, I actually end up do watching them. So that's good. I I actually like the last two that I seen. So. That's good. At least I'm, I'm hoping that the trend continues with the new one. Welcome to the circle. But that time yeah, it's yeah, kind of sure. like, you know, like, oh, and the cover is yeah. like, ooh, the cover looks kind of bad. <laughs> I'll say that. Well, here. I, I just I've always been a big fan of what our exploitation does. I mean, they travel, you know, they release things from all around the world and stuff. So you never really know what country you're going to be getting next and shit. It's pretty cool. It's kind of weird, though, because the, these last three releases were USA, like North American releases. That is strange, actually. They don't release a lot from the U.S. And there's a few. There's a couple Canadian releases. Dead Dicks was Canadian, but yeah, it's it's mostly from bizarre countries from around the world and shit, which is pretty cool. Yeah, so I'm wondering. I know they did pick up. They actually sent them press. They they picked up a few other movies. So mm-hmm. let's see what's coming in the future. I'm, I'm I'm excited. I always liked them as a company. Yeah, for sure. All right, moods. What else you got? 
All right, so, you know, I've been on this tear of 2020 watches, and I I think I, reading back in some of the chats, and someone mentioned that they really enjoyed this movie, so I was like, shit, man, I gotta check it out, because this year has been a very, very hit-and-miss year with movies for, I think, pretty much everybody. It's not been a strong year, not a lot of heavy hitters and shit, so I was like, fuck it. This one sounded pretty good, kind of. <laughs> you never know. Um, and it's called You're Not Alone. You guys hear about this one? No, all I think about is the fucking Michael Jackson song. You are not alone. <laughs> I've heard of it. I've heard of it. I haven't seen it, though. I, okay, so this one's directed by Eduardo uh, Rodriguez, who actually directed um, <laughs> the Fright Night 2 remake, the sequel to the remake, um, <laughs> which, I, which I actually liked more than the re- Well, I didn't even like the remake of Fright Night. I thought the remake of Fright Night was trash bags beyond trash bags. Um, fuck McLovin. But but anyways, yeah, the casting's horrible in that movie. Uh, but yeah, the sequel. So he did that. That's pretty much what I knew him from. So, um, but you're not alone. Basically, is about this mother um, that kind of uh, inherits her husband the house that she used to live in after her husband passes away. She's been estranged from her husband for a bunch of years, and her daughter also. Um, so she's had like pretty much no relationship for the daughter. the The husband passes away. She re gains um custody of the daughter and they move back into this house that she once lived in so she's trying to rekindle her relationship with her daughter and of course uh some kind of supernatural kind of ghostly things start happening around the house and uh it, basically they got to figure out what the fuck is going on so that's the premise to the film uh, my thoughts on this one this is utter fucking garbage <laughs> Like, I, I'm not even going to beat around the bush with this. This movie was fucking terrible. It's been a while since I've watched a trash bag film like this. And, you know, the crazy thing is, you know, it's got pretty decent production value. You know, the acting is, is somewhat pretty good. I think the little girl in the mill movie is not really the greatest. But, you know, you know, the overall cinematography and just how the movie's constructed is pretty good. It's not too bad. It's just... It's just the narrative that is really, really bad in this movie because, you know, for anybody that listens to the show and watches my reviews and knows anything about me, they know that I like slow burn movies as long as the narrative, as long as you're learning things in, you know, the slowness of the, you know, the narrative and you're learning things and it kind of works itself out in the end. That's fine, man. I, I don't mind talk heavy movies. I love really great dialogue, slow burn movies with great atmosphere and stuff. You know, at times this one does have a pretty decent atmosphere and shit, but Okay, so it is a very slow burn type film. The problem is, is that everything that's happening leading up to it into the reveal is just it's so fucking stupid because it's one of these damn movies where they basically could have put anything as the reveal. Anything. It didn't matter what they did at this point because they just they fucked up along the whole way. Once it gets revealed, you're like, this is the stupidest shit ever. And then, you know, once the reveal happens, you're like, okay. And then it gets even stupider. It's just, oh, my God. Like, where this thing goes is utterly so stupid. It leaves it so ambiguous. So and it's not even confusing ambiguity either. You know, it's one of those things where you go, are you fucking serious? Like, that's what you're going to do with this shit, man. It's just, oh, it's so stupid. And there's this ridiculous subplot. You know, of course, you know, obviously with the husband p- passing away and stuff, you would immediately assume that the husband is is haunting, you know, the, uh, the, the, or the wife and the daughter and stuff like that. Because obviously he was, you know, maybe a little bit ill 
from, you know, her leaving him and stuff from years before and stuff like that. But then there's this crazy retarded subplot in the film with, you know, this dude that was actually from the wife's past. And she apparently dated him before she got married to her husband and stuff. And they have this history and he kind of comes into her to be one of the biggest dickhead shitty characters in the history of cinema. Like this guy makes Rhodes look like a fucking, you know, like a cherry tree, man. It's ridiculous. Like, man, I... This was just it, it was just so pathetic. It's such a pathetic movie. I can't even explain how stupid this thing is. It's just, I'm still heated after watching this shit. And this is the type of sh- I mean, this is actually literally one of the worst movies I've watched all year. Um, and it's just kind of a shame because, you know, I mean, there's there's elements here that are good. And this is exactly the shit I'm talking about with with filmmaking and stuff like why you would ever put this product out like this is beyond me it's it's really that stupid it's really that fucking pathetic it's just a slap in the face to horror fans it's so dumb it's like you're not really thinking through anything with this type of narrative and shit like this is like this is the punch you're going to give us at the end it's just unforgivable it's pathetic absolutely pathetic hated this movie with a passion so um you're not alone do not check it out and i very rarely even when I blast movies, I very rarely tell people not to check out movies because, hey, you might like it. You know, I very I don't want to be that person. Be like, oh, don't check out this movie. And then you do. And it was good. And you're like, oh, you're a fucking asshole for not running that. Um, but I am going to say, don't check this one out. It's really shit. It's stupid because you're basically going to waste your 90 minutes. You know, you <laughs> again, if you're going to do a slow burn type film, you better have a fucking payoff. That's going to be worthy of spending 90 minutes watching this shit. And if you're just going to, if you're going to alienate your viewer and, and treat them like shit, like you might as well just reach through the fucking screen and punch me right in the penis head. Like that's how I felt after I was watching this shit. I was like, no, fuck you. So fuck you, Eduardo Rodriguez for making this shit. So what you're saying there is just listen to the Michael Jackson. You are not alone song instead listen to it for the for 90 minutes and you would enjoy that a lot more than you would you are not low oh god mhm literally put that shit on repeat for 92 minutes and you would enjoy your life more than after watching this piece of garbage fuck yeah i'm serious dude like it's been a while since i've seen a movie take a turn or do an ending like that where you're just like okay like no it, it's just so dumb it's so stupid. And I don't even like to use those adjectives. Stupid. The R word. Like those are, those are just dumb ways to describe things, but that's where this movie fits into. So I don't want to Jeremy. Do not watch it. It's so bad. So you're saying Patreon this to Jeremy and JP. Gotcha. <laughs> right. If you do. But the thing is, like I said, you know, visually and aesthetically, it's actually not that bad. It's just, oh man, dude. All right, yeah, no taken. <laughs> Check that one off any list of watches <laughs> or two. Never watch. said it was good, but never I, watch they're alone. Tripping, they're tripping balls. <laughs> never watch at all. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, all right, uh, my next one that I got kind of continuing with the theme of let's see what I can watch with the family. This one's a Netflix original starring a familiar actor comedian, Adam Sandler. It's Hubie Halloween. Mm. <laughs> so <laughs> this one, I'll t- so I'll start with what works in the movie. <laughs> it works when all his buddies from his movies and 
SNL cast members show up to do cameos. They're all pretty funny in their spots. Um, Moose's favorite actor, Kevin James, is in this movie <laughs> uh, as like the, the town sheriff. Um, the movie tries to have like a kind of a good, good message about not being bullies, which they kind of come back around on at the end. But man, overall, it's just not that great of a movie. Like I said, <laughs> the first the first fifteen minutes or so, there were they like packed in so many cameos and like so much like uh like just jokes that at first my initial impression was like wow is this going to end up being like better than i expected but then it just kind of turns into a slog and when all that stuff goes away it's just like man it's starting to get boring and it shouldn't be an hour and 42 minutes that's way too long a running time for this kind of movie and by the end of it, it's just like, man, that was actually pretty mediocre. Like, you you ever have those movies where like the comedy it comes out of the gate like hitting hard, but then it just peters out and it just never recovers. And by like by the time it get, even gets to the third act, I was just kind of like starting to get bored with it. Um, this movie probably has an audience out there for people. Maybe they just like Adam Sandler so much. I mean. Adam Sandler definitely has an era of his career where it's like, can't miss. He's great. I don't really put most of it on him because I don't know. He's just, he he's probably not at that creative level in his life anymore. But man, yeah, this is one you can probably skip. I mean, maybe if you got family, but it's like my, like my kids were, they didn't really care. I mean, they don't know Adam Sandler. Obviously they're too young know anything about him about his good era movies they're still too young to even watch those so they have no point of reference of like oh an adam sandler movie they you know obviously so they they kind of i mean i would say the coolest element about this besides the jokes and stuff is it it does feel very like halloween festive it you know a small town it's halloween season so the aesthetic of the holiday of halloween is there and they go pretty over the top with it as movies with that take place in small towns on Halloween tend to do. It's a growing up. You're always like, why can't my town be like that with how festive it is? But, um, yeah, I am not recommending this one. I would say skip it unless you're just like an Adam Sandler Uber fan. And if you get total, if you get a total kick out of like his buddies and former cast members showing up just to see what they do. Cause half the time they're funnier, you know, those little bits and pieces are funnier than the, uh, the movie overall. So I guess if you're curious about that, you can hit play, but don't be surprised if, you know, 45 minutes into it, you're like, I'm watching this. Has anyone else seen this? I'm not. And and you're wrong. (laughs) I like this one. I actually liked it a lot, too, man, to be honest. And I'm not like a massive mass. Like, I liked Adam Sandler when, you know, when he was doing his 90s jams and shit into the early 2000s. But he obviously tapered off quite a bit. I, but I think he's, you know, I wouldn't say reinvented himself um, through his Netflix deal. But he's definitely, you know, you, you said that he, he you feel like he's not really in that creative mind state anymore. I kind of disagree, actually, because he's done a lot of different types of films, whether it be I mean, at least he's challenging himself and doing 
things outside the box, like, you know, a comedy horror related film like Hubie Halloween and stuff. And then he did the, uh, the, you know, the obvious drama and uncut gems and stuff. And he still does a stupid comedies and shit, but I think he's still being creative enough and, and doing different types of things that I would, wouldn't put, wouldn't lump him into that group of not being that creative right now. Um, whether you like his comedy style or not, it is what it is, you know? A lot of people can't stand that he does stupid voices. If you don't like when he's doing stupid-ass voices and shit, don't watch Huey <laughs> Halloween. He's got a ridiculous voice through the whole movie. I agree. The aesthetic in the movie is fantastic. It has a great small-town Halloween feel. I personally really like Huey in this movie. I think he's absolutely hilarious. I, I love the part where, where someone says, you know, AJ, nothing but a number. And he's like, yeah, I know. That's why I played T-ball till I was 25. Well, I literally bu- I fucking burst out laughing <laughs> when he said that. Because everything that he delivers in this movie you got to remember, you know, like, you know, the tone of this film too. He's serious. He's dead serious on everything he says, right? It just comes off as being ridiculous. And he, he kind of comes off sounding like he's slow, but he's not, he's actually quite, you know, kind of smart and stuff, but I do agree. He runs too long. And that whole, you know, the, the whole, oh, I want to say, I don't know. It's it just the finale of the film just goes on way too long. You know, it just gets too heartfelt and shit. And it just goes on way too long. It's ridiculous. But, you know, as much as I talk shit on Kevin James, um, he actually was kind of funny in this movie. I will actually say that on record. I actually <laughs> laughed at a couple parts. He, he didn't overdo it as the cop. I thought he was actually kind of funny. And, yeah. you know, actually another aspect of the film I thought was quite interesting because it kind of it kind of went away from that typical cliche comedy style film and stuff where Hubie has this crush on this woman. I think it's actually Kevin James' ex-wife in the film, to be honest. And uh, he's had a crush on her since high school and stuff. And, you know, he's obviously super afraid to talk to her. And he won't talk to her, but she's the aggressor, right? You never see this in films where, you know, it's usually, you know, he's got to build up the, you know, he's got to build it up, you know, to talk to the to the girl, to get the girl and stuff like that. But it's her all over him, and he's the one that won't talk to her. And shit. It's just, I don't know, that whole shit kind of made me laugh and stuff. But there's a lot of funny parts in this, to be honest, but... Again, it's Adam Sandler comedy. It's hit and miss, right? I can see why yeah. people like it, and I can see why people don't. And it is what it is. It's like, you know, people ask me, you know, what my favorite Adam. I had that just a little while ago, and I'm like, you know, I mean, a lot of people say that their favorite film is Adam's or um, you know Billy Madison or Happy Gilmore and stuff. And uh, I don't know, man. I mean, that that completely makes sense to me why those movies would be your favorite and shit. But I always kind of go back to. Oh, I would probably say what what is your guys' favorite Adam Sandler movie? It's between either uh Wedding Singer or Big Daddy. You see, like the Wedding Singer is definitely my favorite Adam Sandler movie. I, I think just every scene in that movie is just fucking hilarious, man. It's so funny. But Yeah, I, I think I think Wedding Singer is mine too, because it to me it struck that that balance of like he definitely it still feels very Adam Sandler like, but it's like he kind of matured in the storytelling Mm-hmm. as well um it's not just straight adam sandler acting like like you know uh over the top idiot you know and well, i so like that stuff from him too but he yeah but it, it was just a writing and it was very like heartfelt as well well and that's the thing too and i'm not a big fan of like romantic comedies and i guess you could kind of even lump that into it really it's kind of what it is but it's mm-hmm. just done so well there's a lot of really great parts in it man like my favorite parts is when he's talking to the to be husband and he's like, so your last name's Gulia. So her name's going to be Julia Gulia. And the guy's like, yeah, so <laughs> Julia. Yeah. That guy is such that? a dick to the <laughs> husband the guy. They, it's the way they do back and forth on that. It's just so funny. Uh, oh man. I hate that dude in that movie too. Oh, he's, he's such, such a, a dick. 
He's a he's right. a bad he's the bad guy in Quarky Romano too. <laughs> I, I, right, I love right, when yeah. he punches Adam Sandler on the street and then he does the dance and when he tells the story, he's like, "Here's the story about yeah. the guy who wouldn't mind his own business." And it, 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 it. <laughs> it was so ridiculous, like such a mm. dick type of thing to do, but watching it was hilarious. Yeah, yeah. Billy Idol. Billy Idol gets it. Why can't she get it? Yeah, there's somebody Adam Sandler and uh, Drew Barrymore. They have that uh, chemistry on film because I think they've done three movies together, right? Yeah, yeah. Fifty yeah, First Dates is another one. Yeah, and I think there was a third one. I just can't think of it. I think it was something to do with Africa. They they were in like Africa or something. I forget. I haven't seen it. Probably. Yeah, I think you're right. But me and Moods' most guilty pleasure Adam Sandler movies. That's my boy. <laughs> yeah, dude, that movie's funny, man. What did you guys think of Little Nicky? Do you have you seen that? One? It, some of it's okay. I like yeah, a lot it, of the side characters more than it's actually. Hit it's, yeah, it's hit and miss, dude. There's there's a couple. There's funny parts, but I think overall the movie's not great. You know, I mean, I, it's kind of like like again going back to his deal with Netflix and stuff. You know, he's. Uh, Fuck, man, he must have done, what, 10 movies for Netflix now? And he's done a lot of different types of things. You know, he's done the stupid, like, murder mysteries, and Uncut Gems was really cool and stuff. But, uh, like, The Ridiculous Six I thought was terrible. Really, really bad. Besides Vanilla Ice is Mark Twain. Yeah, Vanilla Ice <laughs> actually pops up in a couple of his uh, newer films. Yeah. Uh, Grown Ups, too, which I hated. I hated Grown Ups, the first one, with a passion. And that's why I never checked out the sequel. And I was bored one day and I was like, shit, dude. I was kind of watching all these later Adam Sandler movies. I just kind of got in one of those weird things I watched, like Sandy, Sandy Wexler and shit, which I didn't think it was that. It was okay. But Grown Ups, too, I thought was way better than the first one, to be honest. But I like the murder mystery one on the yacht. Yeah, Murder Mystery actually wasn't that bad. I know a lot of people didn't like it and stuff. I thought it was okay. You know, it's it's kind of like the Egg of the Christie. Yeah, it's like the Murder and the Warrior Express. That yeah, it's, it's got all those elements in it, right? It's, you know, him and Jennifer Aniston. And I, I think Jennifer Aniston's really funny these days, man. She's done a lot of funny stuff. I'm glad that she kind of got out of that whole Friends type thing because doing these dirty ass roles and horrible bosses and all these movies, she's kind of funny. I kind of like her. So. Yeah, for sure. Venom, have you seen Hubie Halloween? Fuck no. <laughs> I hate like Adam Sandler with a fucking passion of, uh, I, oh, wow, I can't even think of a good analogy. Let's just say I don't give a fuck about Adam Sandler. How's that? All areas of his movie? That's, that's no, never. I, I've never found, I, Adam Sandler is one of those SNL uh, alumni that I can only handle in small doses. So when he was on SNL, five, six-minute skits, cool. 90 minutes of Adam Sandler, shoot me in the fucking face. Yeah, no, I get it. I don't like, yeah, I'm, I'm one of the minority that I just don't like that man. I don't find him funny. I think his voices are retarded. Um, I think he's mildly retarded. I, I just, yeah. I mean, his drama stuff is fine, but as far as Adam Sandler, the comedian, fuck that guy. You know what's actually like, funny about Adam Sandler? You would never really think of a dude that does these type of movies and shit as being, he's like top, like, 13 richest Hollywood actors and like he's this guy's worth like hundreds of millions of dollars it's crazy how successful he is in what he does it like it does it shocks me a little bit because I can totally see where you're coming from Venom why you'd hate him mm-hmm. I get it I just I completely understand it one bit I'm not mad at all like yeah. it, it, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not a huge Adam Sandler fan like I, I like I like him 
but I wouldn't say like I go out of my way to you know. Oh, Adam Sandler's got a new movie, Hubie Halloween. I got a fucking you know. Yeah, I'm not like that either. Like maybe when I was younger, like I like like the classics, like Happy Gilbert. Like I like those when I was younger. Yeah. And shit. You know, it's just like some of the new ones. Like "Eh, I don't know. I had to hear about it from somebody else that's kind of a bigger fan first before I check it out. I think honestly, the reason why I got into this uh, this latest Adam Sandler kick is because obviously he's done so many movies for Netflix, and plus Canadian Netflix really sucks dick, and we don't have a lot of stuff on there. But we do have all the you know made for Netflix movies and stuff, of course, because they're Netflix, right? So it's like you go to the new releases, and it's like Adam Sandler movie, Adam Sandler movie, Adam Sandler movie. I'm like, what the fuck? David Spade movie, David. I'm like, Jesus, Kevin Christ. James like, movie. Kevin, it's like all these fucking movies, and I'm like, okay, there's nothing on. We're in quarantine. I'm like, well, might as well watch some of this shit, see what it's all about. And, and it's weird because Adam Sandler actually directs all the new Prices Right episodes. <laughs> what? You didn't know that? Oh, He's got a no. deal with Bob Barker. Yeah, it's kind of weird. Like, <laughs> so we watch, fucking, yeah, we watch. I watch it every morning with my mom, and she's like, directed by Adam Sandler. I'm like, wow, this is fucking weird. Oh, that is bizarre. <laughs> yeah. Crazy. Uh, <laughs> at least you don't hate Jim Carrey, Venom, because Dave yeah. hates him just because he's Canadian. Nah, not at all. I don't hate anybody because of where they come from. Uh, Dave but just if hates it, if you're if you're gonna call yourself a comedian, then you better make me laugh at least once. And I'm still waiting on Adam Sandler. <laughs> Sorry, Jim Carrey's <laughs> one of those guys that yeah, he's uber hit and miss with me too, man. <laughs> the, the cable guy's the most replayable value. Like what the fuck? But what did I just say there? It's got the most replay value for myself. Like I love that movie. I remember watching that back in the cinema when it came out, I think in '95, and just being like, I I was the only person. I remember I went with a group of like five or six people. And everybody hated it but me. They were like, that movie sucked. Or whenever it came. When did so, it come you, out? so you are a hidden Ben Stiller fan. Oh, God. Well, I mean, I don't, like, honestly, I don't hate Ben. I, honestly, I prefer Ben Stiller in roles like that, where these small-ass little roles, like in Highway to Hell, where he's the cook outside, frying eggs on the fucking heated well, fire. Well, he's, he's technically not in it. He directed and wrote the movie. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't, doesn't he not have a part in it, though? Yeah, he's, he's the guy that's in trial. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, he always yeah. makes little cameos. But yeah, no, I'm Ben Stiller directing whatever. That's fine. But he's one of those guys I prefer in really, really small doses. And my favorite part of that whole thing is they made a TV movie about his character, and Eric Roberts plays him in the <laughs> TV. Yeah, <movie>. yeah. <laughs> no, I just never understood the hate for it, man. I I always thought it was a great movie, man. Super fun. But again, I I'm pretty much in the minority on that one. It seems like a lot of people, you know, were loving the Ace Ventura movies and stuff. And I think he did the mask right before that. And then it was All like, righty then. And then it was like this dark comedy comes out with fucking Ferris Bueller. <laughs> and like, nobody fucking got it. So I don't know. I got it, I guess, but yeah. it's fun. Yeah. I remember liking cable guy too. When I saw it, the know, a lot of people hated it. And I, I think a lot of people, cause up to that point, wasn't Jim Carrey, mostly just he did what he was always known for and that was like the first really role that it wasn't like just the typical like him making like a goof out of himself and i think people weren't like ready to see him in like a different type of role because i feel like the cable guys aged better like where now a lot more people like it but definitely when it first came out i remember it getting tons of hate some of it aged kind of bad for me because i kind of wish that he played the role more straight throughout it because since this is a dark comedy and he kind of goes it's actually 96 it came out yeah it was 96 so Yeah. yeah i mean he i mean basically he was famous for doing the ace ventura mask of course dumb and dumber came out in 94 um 
I don't know, Batman Forever was kind of forgettable for myself. I didn't really care for the sequel, Ace, the, the Ace Ventura sequel at all. I was like, whatever. Oh, I like it more because it's so stupid and out of there. But this back to back cable guy and liar liar. I think the the premise behind liar liar is genius, man. A lawyer that can't lie is the funniest premise, man. That shit's funny to me. Yeah, I like the. There's a few movies that I I you know the the best scene from Ace Ventura is when he just takes the slinky and just puts it down all those stairs. <laughs> Everybody wants a slinky, slinky, go, slinky, go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Venom's having a heart attack. It's like fucking Jesus Christ, Eric. <laughs> He's like, if we don't move on from Adam Sandler or Jim Carrey, but um, what? Uh, I guess uh, I mean, if we're only doing two, we all got them out. But I know Venom. You, you said you had like a handful of them. I've Is got any a other bunch. I can keep going up? for a while. I mean, none of them good that we haven't already talked about on Fresh Cuts or will talk about. On Fresh Cuts, uh, one that I watched a couple of weeks ago that's a Shutter exclusive. Uh, it was released on October 1st, written and directed by Josh Rubin. Uh, also starring Josh Rubin, uh, Aya Cash, and Chris Red from SNL fame. That is, of course, Scare Me, uh, the story <laughs> of uh, two writers who uh, go off to the Catskills, not together, separately. Um, to write their next, uh, you know, uh, projects. Uh, there's a snowstorm. Uh, the power goes out. They end up, um, or the uh, the female writer played by Aya Cash, uh, goes over to the male's cabin and says, "I'm bored. We're both authors. Uh, we're both horror authors. So scare me. Tell me a story and scare me." And that's basically the entire premise of the movie. Two people in a in a cabin in the Catskills, just trying to scare each other with stories. Um, I was expecting a little bit more of an anthology type film when I first heard you know, kind of the basic premise of the movie. I thought that they were actually going to tell stories and that like the camera would go off and actually show us the story acted out. But no, this, this movie literally is two people in a cabin. And in the second act, it becomes three, uh, three people in a cabin as Chris Red, who plays Carlo, the pizza delivery driver, ends up joining the festivities after probably the best part of the movie yes by far the best part of the movie now um i'm not gonna i don't want to say that i hated the movie but it just doesn't really work for me it gets boring dude it honestly like that's the problem with the movie I, i think the premise is okay for the film but then when you start getting into like the 40 50 hour mark in the film and they're still doing the same shit you're like oh for fuck really man Right, exactly. Like it started to have promise when uh, the male character Fred told his first story about the werewolf, mm-hmm. and what you know what they would try to do is kind of sh- uh, like as Fred was acting out the story, we would get like actual werewolf sound effects and like flesh being torn from bone, uh, you know, random sound effects like that. Uh, mm-hmm. To the point even where Fred would pretend that he's the werewolf and he'd stick his hand like around a corner and it would actually look like a werewolf hand. So. It's like when I saw that, I'm like, oh, okay, maybe maybe they're going to be ramping up to more over the top action as they tell the stories. But it just really doesn't. It's like, honestly, the first story is probably the best one that was told, the one that actually had me the most engaged. And then as the rest of the movie and not to say that the other short stories that they tell are bad, they're not. It's just that once I realize that we're not leaving this cabin and I'm literally sitting here watching two or three people tell stories it's just I found myself. 
I'm not sure about you, Venom, but, you know, one audio guide to another. I was losing interest in the stories quickly because I also was I was the victim of that circumstance also. And I'm like, we're not leaving this cabin. This is what we're doing here. (laughs) So I started to focus on the actual sound. And I always noticed but I was really starting to notice on the sound mix and stuff. And like, I thought the actual mix and what they did with it was really good. Like that was probably the most intriguing yes. part besides Carlos for myself. Like he was a nice little addition to the <laughs> film for a little bit. Besides, like actually one of the weirdest things in the film is when I think it's the landlord or whatever comes to the house and fucking sees the pizza on the table and just starts eating the pizza. I'm like, what the fuck? Who does that? Like it's yeah. been sitting out all night. You're just going to grab a piece of pepperoni and just start uh. chowing down. I'm like, but yeah, no, the audio, sound mix and it just sounded it was really good i thought yeah, it was it's, really got, good, so. it's got stellar down sound design absolutely yeah, yeah yeah um you know it's got some quirky characters i mean there's nothing wrong with the performances necessarily um there's not really anything wrong with the writing like i said just the mm-hmm. filmmaking choice to keep this in the cabin yeah, and not make it more of a true anthology especially something released in october mm-hmm. um you know i would expect it to be a little bit more visceral a little bit more you know like an anthology but ultimately this is a movie that a lot of people are giving positive reviews for and that's great i've already spoken to a couple of podcasters who vehemently disagree with me on you know my assessment of it and that's fine if the movie works for you that's cool um i i still would recommend this movie uh to most people especially if you're a fan of like campfire stories if you've ever gone camping yourself and told scary stories around the campfire or whatever, it might work for you more. But like I said, for me, I was just hoping for a little bit more visceral action, um, especially for kind of a horror comedy, you know, released in October. So that's all. But I'm, I'm sure it works for a lot of people. Mike, Derek, uh, either of you guys seen Scare Me on Shutter? I have not yet. Uh, I actually threw this on like late at night and got, I, I was like way too tired to even start a movie. And <laughs> I had just got to the part where Chris Red showed up, and I have to restart it from that point. But um, up to there, it, w- it was okay. I felt like, okay, are we gonna like progress a little more? Because the, the character, um, she plays like the, I guess like the neighbor, and you know when she shows up at his house, all overly aggressive. Um, yeah, I, I got a kind of a kick out of that, but then it felt like the movie wasn't going anywhere. I was like what's going on here let's like where's our stories you know i think that i i think i was going and thinking too like oh this is an anthology i thought let's let's get some more stuff going on but like i said i just barely made it to the part where chris Wright is in it so i do want to finish it out yeah I've just been busy with other stuff yeah but, uh, <clears throat> yeah the second half's definitely better than the first because of chris red his involvement Definitely. It ramps up the comedy anyway. I mean, it doesn't really do anything for the horror, the quote unquote horror of the film. But yeah, the comedy, absolutely. Oh, and I, I, I did. Oh. Uh, I did get to mention, too, that um, if anybody's interested, if anybody out there watches the Amazon Prime show The Boys, um, our female protagonist in this film, Fanny, is, like I said, played by Aya Cash. She also plays Stormfront, who's the new hero on season two of The Boys. Oh, um, yeah. I way prefer her on The Boys than in this film, but, you know, that's that's a whole other story. But, yeah, uh, some people might know her from The Boys, so if, you, you know, I, if you're a fan of her performance there, check her out. She doesn't do a bad job like i said no one does a bad job it's just the movie's either going to work or it's not going to work for you so yeah yeah i'll probably check it out eventually it's just uh usually in october i usually don't stream a lot because i'm usually doing as the listeners don't know i actually have a youtube channel where i do youtube reviews 
and I don't really do a lot of streaming movies because I like usually like to show the movie while I'm doing the review. It gives me something to actually work off and stuff like that. It's just weird. I know Moods is kind of the same way. He doesn't really review streaming movies on his thousands literally and i'm holding a copy in my hand for everyone <laughs> yeah yeah you know that's just so, kind of what i always wanted to do i just didn't want to go that level because it just it just complicates things for myself yeah i'll check it out probably maybe i'll even check it out on halloween I'm, i usually stream a lot of shit on halloween shit yeah and fair warning it is a little bit of a long film it's an hour and 50 minutes so yeah hunker down and the payoff in the payoff is exactly where you go off or where you where you think it's going Yep, in my, in my opinion. Yeah. I, I just oh, yeah, you see that twist coming a mile away. Absolutely. Big time, dude. I, I was like... Uh. I, in fact, I had it gender swapped. I thought it was going to be the other way around. I thought, you know, I thought Fanny was going to play the Fred-type uh, character mm-hmm. change, but uh, they went with the more traditional route, so whatever. <laughs> Which makes it even worse considering some of the stuff they throw into the narrative about his past and, you know, his restraining order and his ex-wife and things like that. And you're just like, what? Mm-hmm. Really? And especially how like quote unquote woke Fanny is constantly, you know, talking about why does a character have to be a male? Why can't it be a girl? Yeah. Blah, blah, yeah. Blah. So yeah, yeah baby. Very much a product of its time, right? It's a man, baby. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, that scare me. Yeah. I mean, the only other main thing I had on my list, but it's not horror, that's why I didn't really want to bring it up, is I've been trying to go through all the Bond movies from start to finish, oh, and there's yeah. a ton of them. Me <laughs> um, in the lineup, god damn you, you... Oh, well, this we weren't even rotating, this is kind of like the free-for-all if we had anything else we wanted to add in, but <laughs> I'm only four in. Out of the first four, my favorite is Goldfinger, easily. Are these, so like, far. first watches for you or something? No, no. <laughs> oh, I was like, damn, I was like, I'm just going to go through these movies. My favorite. Okay. No, 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 <laughs> no. I've seen, like, Bond movies over the years, but yeah. I've, it's been so long since, like, I've actually sat down and said, okay, I'm going to watch start to finish every single one. I mean, because, you know, they span such a long i mean if we're oh, talking about going back to sean connery ones like yeah i'm sure my you know i would probably watch it with my dad or something way back in the day but i don't have vivid memories of every single one of them because there's so many so mm. um i i got i kind of got into them later in life but i didn't necessarily go back and watch every single one so i just kind of had like the the feeling of man i want to go back and just so i can you know actually watch every single one um and now, uh, I think Goldfinger so far is the standout of them. It feels like that's and that like was when you think of James Bond. That feels four? like the model of it. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. so Goldfinger in the first four. Okay, you know, actually, when the quarantine first started, man, like I'm a huge Bond dork. Like I'll admit that I'm a massive dork. I've seen every movie like multiple, multiple, multiple. Times. I grew up with this shit, man. My uncle's a huge Bond freak, and I grew up watching this shit from such a young age. But um, I mean, really, the only movies that I have, I kind of stray away from are the Pierce Bronson ones besides Goldeneye. You know, Tomorrow Never Dies, The World's Not Enough, and Die Another Day are, they're very much misses for they me. Get bad, they get bad as they go along. Yeah, or, those, the, yeah, it's those, funny you should mention that because those are the ones I actually, well, the, not the only ones, but the first set I really saw in theaters just because of my age. And mm-hmm. those are the ones when I'm when I'm thinking in my head about marathon and every single one, I'm like, do I really need to rewatch those ones? Because it's like 
I still remember those ones pretty yeah. like well enough to where I don't need to do it for the purpose of what I'm doing. But mm-hmm. I don't know. It's going to be a while till I get to them anyway. So maybe you know, maybe I'll rewatch Goldeneye and then figure out from there. Maybe, do maybe I get to the fucking like, view to a kill with fucking before Roger Moore with his walker. Like, I'm going to fuck Grace Jones right now. I'm yeah. 95. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm in the same, uh, you know, same realm as you, Mike, because us being exactly the same age, you know, Goldeneye was the first theatrical I've seen too. I've seen everything in the theater since, except obviously the new one, mm-hmm. but, um, yeah, same thing. But, uh, yeah, when I, during the quarantine, I, I sort of, I wanted to make my way through them again because usually every year I watch them at least once. Right. And I got as high as the living daylights, which is, a, um, I mean, license to kill, which is the second, uh, Timothy Dalton film. And, but then shit kind of opened up a little bit and, you know, just kind of got back to regular, regular, I guess, but it's kind of straight away with it. But I was kind of getting to that point where I was like, I, I can smell the Pierce Bronson films coming up and I'm like, nah, I can do without <laughs> But yeah, Roger Moore is my favorite Bond, and yeah, every film that he did, I love. Roger so. Moore. Yeah. So I was kind of looking at the timeline. So does it look? It looks like it went from Sean Connery, Roger Moore, but then Sean Connery came back for one or two. So okay, or so what happened? Sean Connery did the first uh, like five films, uh-huh, and uh-huh. He didn't he opted out of being Bond for Under Majesty's Secret Service, which George Lazenby did, and. Um, I think originally he was slated to do the film, but then he he basically quit Bond and George Lazenby came and did our Honor Majesty's Secret Service, which is kind of the oddball of the whole franchise, not because George Lazenby just did the one film. It's because of the storyline. That's the movie that um, James Bond gets married and his wife dies and stuff in it. So it's kind of it's kind of offbeat like that. But it's actually a really good movie. And Lazenby does a great job as Bond. Um he Lazenby only really wanted to do the one film though, so he did that film, and then Sean Connery came back as Bond for Diamonds Are Forever, which is one of the best Connery films in my opinion. And then he left, and then Roger Moore did the next seven. So, yeah, cool. In which yeah. I mean, Roger Moore's first one, Live and Let Die, is like almost considered to be a black exploitation film. And the Man with the Golden Gun with Christopher Lee, like this is where the movies get a little bit more comical because the difference between Sean Connery and Roger Moore is. I would say Sean Connery was more, he was more a little bit violent towards women and stuff. He was more of a, I'm going to fuck you pussy right now. Right now. I'm going to rape you right now. (laughs) He was a little bit more comical, but he was a little bit easier with the women, but I just prefer the movies. Like nothing against Sean Connery's. I love all of them, but, uh, Roger Moore's it's just a little bit more lighthearted, but the movies themselves, man, like the spy love me for your eyes only. Those are like some of my favorite movies, man. Live and let die man with the golden gun. Like how can you go wrong? You know, Christopher Lee, that shit's amazing. So his third nipple, and I, in my opinion, I always thought that Timothy Dalton was the most underrated Bond dude. Like The Living Daylights and License to Kill are great films. They're really great films. And actually, License to Kill had to be cut down. It actually originally got a rated R um, rating, and they had to cut it down to a PG thirteen, which well, we all know most. Of... David Hedison getting his fucking mm, leg chopped yeah, by dude. a shark. <laughs> it, it got it got crazy in it, man. And and as we know, most Bond movies are like rated PG. Except I think some of the later Daniel Craig ones might have a PG thirteen on them, just because of our standards of rating now are a little bit lower. Everything seems to get a higher rating because people yeah. are fucking PC pussies now. But anyways, yeah. So I mean, up to this point, A View to a Kill was like, holy shit, man. They had to cut that down to a PG thirteen. That's crazy. But but Timothy Dalton, I wish he had have done more. To be honest, I really liked him as a as a Bond. He just had that great cadence about him, man. He had screen presence and shit. I like him. A lot of people don't, but I think he's, oh, he's 
oh, I smile every time he pops up in Hot Fuzz. I just murdered somebody, you know. Like, yeah. Yeah. And, you know and the irony is, is that <laughs> the producers of the Bond films at the time actually had asked Pierce Bronson to do uh, – to play Bond for those movies, but he turned it down because he was on Remington Steel at the time. And, and he also said it wasn't because of his, you know, his TV that he was doing. And so it's also because he thought he was too young to play the role. And he's like, call me in a few years when you guys need another Bond. And then of course, 95 hits and Goldeneye, they're doing mm-hmm. Goldeneye. They need a Bond. And that's when he became four. And he was actually signed on to do originally five films and they never made the fifth one with Pierce Bronson also. So, which I'm kind of glad because they only did the four. And then when Daniel Craig took over and I wasn't overly familiar, I think like, I knew Daniel Craig. I wasn't overly familiar with his work that much, but dude, I like the, the, just the whole, you know, the original type bond story with Casino Royale and shit. I think that's really cool. Yeah. The only thing I knew about Daniel Craig from then is he married Rachel Wise and he's a lucky man for that. Yeah. I knew the, name, <laughs> I knew the face and stuff. I wasn't like, you know, but I'm glad that they use him, man, because Daniel Craig, he's fucking boss, man. Oh, he's crazy. Yeah. Road to perdition. He's crazy where he plays dude. a dick. Doing his own stunts yeah. and getting hurt and shit and just, just doing it all, man. He's just playing Bond. And I, I really, really enjoy that about Daniel Craig, man. He plays the role with a lot of heart. So really excited for No Time to Die. Like, good like I said, I'm a Bond dork. So. <laughs> I like Daniel Craig a lot. Defiance, Defiance is one of my favorite like war movies. He's great in it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. All right, well, that was a little derailment of some non-horror stuff. Um, yeah. Before before we uh, seal this segment up, is there anything, any other movies anyone wants to bring up? Yeah, I wanted to bring up one from 2005 real quick. I watched Chaos last night, directed by the infamous David DeFalco, the owner of Dark Forest Entertainment. Wow, what a movie. I actually liked it. <laughs> Did you ever see it before, Moods? Yeah, that's the um, Last House on the Left remake that was titled Chaos. Yeah, Chaos, uh, di- actually produced by uh, Mark Shelfler, who was in Last House on the Left. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it actually has a very interesting cast of this one. Most of them, I don't know them, but there's like two recognizable faces for me in this movie. And that, of course, is Kevin Gage, who plays Chaos in the film who you probably recognize more from his crazy role in Heat. And he was also in Laid to Rest 1. He was yep, the yep. main hero in that one. And we got uh, Sage Stallone in one of his last movies. Uh, of course, the Sylvester Stallone's son and the guy who was the co-creator of Grindhouse releasing one of me and Moods' favorite companies. Yep. Uh, so, yeah, pretty much I'm not going to go into the plot of this one because it's pretty much Last House on the Left... But it actually kind of has a few tweaks in the ending, which I kind of like the aspect of that. It's not a full-on Last House of the Left ending. And I kind of like how they changed that aspect of it because it's pretty to the point because it only like runs an hour and 16 minutes. And the thing that I noticed right away, the movie is very silent. There's no musical score. So when the brutality hits... It kind of feels kind of more real without no background music. Mm-hmm. And it kind of creeped me out when the girl's nipple was getting cut off. 
I always feel like the reason why they they did that with the no music and stuff was because one of the biggest criticisms from Craven's Last House on the Left was the David Hess soundtrack and how kind of off beat it is and stuff. And a lot of people really don't like it. Some people love it. Some people, you know, don't like it and stuff. But I feel like that's kind of why he went that direction. But that's just my own opinion. But yeah, I kind of expect that because it yeah. felt kind of more dirty when you're watching it because you think you're watching like a somebody actually getting this done to them. It, mm-hmm. it, it kind of made me feel unsettled. And, uh, you know, some of the acting's hokey. It's for the time period, like David DeFalco's direct the video for, ironically enough, since Mike brought up the witches, I should mention this. The assistant director of this movie was actually Nicholas Rogue's son. Mm. <laughs> yeah. So that gets like a little connection back to like, Moods is a fucking thing. I mean, Mike's the review of a kid's movie. <laughs> <laughs> you know? So, but, you know, it's actually funny because I actually did a video review for this. And if you guys haven't seen that, it actually has a very special guest from everyone's favorite dog, my dog, Ruby, who wouldn't stop crying when I was trying to record this video. So I'm like, I'm just going to hold you and rape and torture and girls well, the movie scare nip- your dog, dude. That, that's a scary movie, even for a dog. <laughs> uh, you know, well, she didn't watch it. She was just wanting attention. It was like oh, that. Yeah. She's one of those type of dogs. And I'm like, I'm just going to talk about all this rape and shit while you're in my shoulders. And like, you know, hey, this is a movie about rape and violence. And, you know, a guy fights like another guy with a, does a chainsaw shotgun fight <laughs> in the end of the movie. And, you know, that's what happens, you know? And the dog's like, oh, okay, this is cute. I'm cute. Watch me be cute, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but you're yeah, giving... actually... yeah, go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, you're giving moods. Uh, I spit on your grave flashbacks. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, well, let's just say this. I think, chaos, well, at least chaos doesn't run too long, like Deja Vu, where... At least this movie is like an hour and 16, while Deja Vu is like almost three hours. You know, and oh, man, I can't even, I'm not even going to talk about Deja Vu. I already yeah, got Yeah, let's not talk about that. We are. But Chaos, I do recommend it. It's actually, I was kind of surprised. If you like vile pieces of exploitation cinema, check it out. All right. Well, since everyone else is bringing up another one, I I didn't plan to talk about this one, but I actually watched this one late last night. I started like two in the morning and finished like three thirty or some shit. I'm just torturing myself with 2020 films. But uh, I thought this one kind of looked cool. Like I hadn't I tried to mix it up a little bit, you know, narrative wise with the films I'm watching and stuff. And I hadn't really watched any. I don't think I'd watched any type of Bigfoot movies all year. I try to stay away from, you know, the micro ones because they're just always the same storyline and just garbage and terrible and shit like that but anyways i came across this one called monstrous and the cover literally this yeah so the cover literally has monstrous written in the middle and it's got a car and it's got like this huge kind of sasquatch big folk depending on where you're from yeti um on the cover and then so basically the storyline for the film is it's about this i wouldn't say couple it's like they're they're friends you know it's a girl and a guy and stuff and 
they want to find out what happened to this guy's girlfriend slash this girl's best friend. She went missing. And the thing is, there's been a bunch of people that have went women that have went missing in this specific area over this time period and stuff. It takes place in like upstate New York. And it's like in this little community that's known for all its Bigfoot sightings and things like that. And of course, all these women are going missing and things like that. And this girl, Dana, goes missing. And so they devise this plan where they figure that the the person that might have harmed her um, basically put out this Craigslist ad for a ride up to this place and stuff. And they figure that Dana actually, you know, answered this thing. And uh, so they figured this is kind of their big lead and stuff. And anyways, the girl goes to meet this other chick and, and uh, she ends up going to her place and stuff. And, and then it turns into this really kind of odd, like lesbian story. Like it turns out that this girl that had put this ad out there that, you know, was actually lesbian and this girl, searching for her best friend Dana turns out to be a lesbian and then they start like this lesbian relationship and stuff and I'm like this is fucking totally bizarre like I was not expecting this at all and yeah there is nudity and shit like that and you know and then basically it kind of gets into an area where you feel like you're not it has really nothing to do with Bigfoot, even though it is involved. And I think the the parts of the narrative where they incorporate the whole Bigfoot and stuff is actually kind of interesting, but it is really about, it's kind of like a serial killer movie about this, you know, this, this killer that's abducting these women and, and doing shit to them and stuff. And it's just really, really offbeat because it, it doesn't really disguise it so well. And like, even the real reveal, when you find out who's actually doing the killings and stuff, you're like, okay, well, this is pretty damn obvious and shit, but, but they do incorporate the Bigfoot because hence being in this small town with, you know, the legend of the Bigfoot and stuff, there actually technically is, there actually technically is, they actually show the Bigfoot like right in the beginning of the film too, in a scene. So, you know, that there actually is a Bigfoot and, uh, but like, like how they incorporate it into the film has got to be one of the most bizarre ways I've seen for this type of narrative ever really um i can see why people really wouldn't care for this film because you go into it thinking oh i'm gonna i'm gonna see a fucking you know a bigfoot film and i'm glad this thing wasn't done you know like found footage style and shit like that because that seems to be the common way of doing bigfoot films in the last bunch of years i know derek we've had this conversation many many times about how it seems like every time there's a bigfoot film that comes out it's found footage and then it's a big build up to a half second shot of a bigfoot at the end and then the movie ends right i mean how yeah. many movies have we seen like this you know um, and it's totally not like that. It's, you know, it's a search for Bigfoot because the guy in the beginning of the film, the friend, he's actually obsessed with Bigfoot, but he, of course, he wants to find out where his girlfriend is. So it's this really weird setup and stuff and where it goes. It's, it's kind of obvious and things like that, but kind of an interesting film. I mean, I recommend maybe checking it out and stuff. It's, it's, it's got its moments and shit, but it's a, it's an odd one. It's really, really strange because for the most part, it's like this lesbian love story in the, in the middle of the film. Well, you had me a lesbian love story, it's so just, I'm definitely checking it out. Right? It's just odd how it develops, and you're like, what the fuck? What, like, what the hell's going on here? And, but, I mean, the reveals and things, the way the reveals happen in this are not really the greatest. It's actually kind of stupid because if you're thinking about who this character is and what, they're, what they've been accomplishing and things like that, you kind of put everything together and like, that just, it just wouldn't happen. Like, it's stupid. Um, I think I ended up coming a pretty average for a rating on it and stuff, but uh, it, it was an okay watch. It was just, it was kind of jarring. Well, considering was, I was expecting some fucking serious Yeti Sasquatch Bigfoot shit in this, <laughs> but I didn't really get that. And it was odd. It's, it was, it's hard. It's hard to, you can't really beat fucking suburban sasquatch it's like the best bigfoot movie ever 
<laughs> Jesus. Dude, I mean, one of the most recent ones that I absolutely loved and, you know, kind of falls into two categories of found footage and, you know, Bigfoot films. And that's uh, exists. I, I personally think that shit is fucking phenomenally done. That is the greatest yeah, I, Bigfoot movie ever. Dude, it is so, I mean, even if you're not a fan of found footage, let me reword that. It's the, exists is the best good Bigfoot movie. If you look for the <laughs> best bad Bigfoot movie, it's Night of the no, Suburban Sasquatch Pizza. I don't yeah. know if I've seen that one. I, I honestly... uh, I'm going to give it to you to review maybe one time. you, yeah. you got to review it on the podcast. You, you're going to die laughing throughout it. <laughs> mm-hmm. or, or just die. So I wanted to talk <laughs> yeah, this one just to let people know that if you're expecting um, you know, a full-blown Sasquatch film, which it kind of appears it may be by the cover, the artwork, poster art, whatever you want to call it, it there is... A Sasquatch. And actually, it's funny because the guy calls him a Squatch all the time. And the, and the girl even gives him shit. She's like, stop calling him Squatches. <laughs> like, squatch. It just sounds funny. But um, there is a Bigfoot. There definitely is. But it's kind of like in the backdrop a little bit. It's so hard it's to explain. like Primal Rage Bigfoot where no. it's like Rambo hunting people. Oh, no, I love no. that. <laughs> it's not like Prim- Primal Rage is amazing. That's actually one of the better. I call it Rambo Bigfoot because he's just shooting people with bows and arrows. He's yeah, like yeah. John Rambo. Yeah. It's like I mean, uh, there's legitimately a handful of really great ones out there. I mean, I like Legend of Boggy Creek. I think it's pretty cool, man. Yes. I think it's pretty well done, you know, for what it is. It's a mockumentary, but it seems pretty damn real when you're watching it and shit. But Exist might even be legitimately like one of the best ones out there. That movie is just phenomenal. It's very intense. Mario well, Sanchez, man, he makes. I think exists is probably the best one I've seen. Yeah, in dude, it's, in, it's so intense while you watch it. It's done so well, and like I even tell people because I mean, I remember having a comment one time on one of my YouTube videos, and they said, "Oh, I'm not going to check out Exist because you explained it as being found footage." And I was like, "Yo, man, I mean, I get that whole aspect because you know it did come out at a time where found footage was flooding the market, like zombies has been doing for 15 years, kind of thing and stuff, but." I'm like, I get that, but I'm like, dude, even if you're not a fan of found footage, you got to check this one out, man. It's really intense. It's done really, really well. And Eduardo Sanchez, he does great movies in that yeah, style. Yeah, man. He's the one who created that style, you know? Right, right, right. He knows how yeah. to work it. Yeah, and it just works on all levels, so it's good shit. Has, and has a young Dora Madison, future Bliss and VFW star. What was the, the Bob? Cat Wolf Goldflake film was it Willow Creek? Is yeah. that the one that he directed? And like and that's yeah. literally one of the cliche ones I'm talking about. And I was so yeah. disappointed with it with his direct you know, his direction he took because it's not the fact that it was, you know, found footage and stuff and it was the simple fact that like you watch this like eighty, ninety minute film and then you get like a second glimpse of it and it just ends. I'm like, dude, this is not cool, man. I mean, it's pretty bad when the best scene in your film is a character holding a camera shaking in a tent for five minutes oh god <laughs> was it only five it felt like 15 that I know, was dude. so fucking long dude, oh, I, I, I honestly like the first half of that movie way more than the second half i actually like yeah, all the build up of them going into the town looking at all the big yeah, yeah. yeah yeah there's cool aspects but i mean it just does not deliver in the end it's one of those things where you're like that's what i get i get a glimpse it's like a fucking it's just a flash <laughs> And what the? And was it even a Sasquatch? It looked like just a fat, old, naked woman. Right. Right. 
it's just a minor frame at the end, and you're just like, no, I did not watch. It was Bob Tech Goldway from fucking Police Academy. It was himself, just in a costume. (laughs) 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 Exists as the best Bigfoot movie since Harry and the Hendersons. But yeah, uh, who's that? Oh wait, that's wrong show. Called Monstrous. Um, it was it was definitely different. I'll give them that. You know, I haven't seen a Bigfoot movie done like that before. So kind of interesting. I just put it in my Amazon cart because you said lesbian love scene. That's all it does. (laughs) Yeah, there's definitely that. Yeah. So monstrous 2020. All right. Um, does that end our rotation venom? You didn't have anything else to do. Nothing worth talking about. <laughs> All right. Well, with that, I'll get into the two small news items we actually have. Um, let, me, let me guess first. This couldn't be finally playing Freddy Krueger. <laughs> Has he been we, asked about we it? We have again? confirmation <laughs> on the, the screencast of Scream 5 and uh, Kevin Bacon playing Freddy. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Who's back for Scream 5 that no one cares about? Or, no, <laughs> no. You know what the no. You know what the late the latest <laughs> thing is with Scream Five that I see like a new headline every day. Oh, did this character really die? Could they find a way for them to come back? Oh, that like, is no, so dumb. That is so dumb. Yeah, I'm. I, I, I just can't like, stand that. Dude, you can't alienate the films and be like, yo, man, did this, ca-? and then bring this character back and be like, no, they didn't even die. It's like, that's so stupid, man. Just be creative and bring new characters in. It's not like it's a Halloween franchise where they just have, like, multiple choose-your-own-adventure fucking timelines. <laughs> right? Yeah, because considering this one is pretty linear. So yeah. It, it's really hard to pull that off and be believable. I mean, for anybody that's been a fan of the franchise from then on, I'm, I think you'd be questioning their abilities there at that point and be like, no, man, they, they did just, die. They did fucking die. Basically. They just need to do a Scream sequel where Sydney decides to go live on a deserted island because I guess literally the whole world wants to kill her for one reason or another. Oh, my God. that's like well, I heard that the new Scream Factory is going to have Sydney... Um, it's kind of going to be like an Evil Dead setting, but she's going to be fighting off a Sasquatch. <laughs> <laughs> and she gets no. into a lesbian love scene. And Randy, right. Randy, Randy's little scene. sister will have a will have a camcorder, so it'll with, be found footage. With Rose McGowan, who apparently didn't die in the first movie. Oh, my God, Scream. Come on. You guys got to get a little bit more original than that. I would watch that lesbian scene, though, if it happened. She did not die. In the garage. No fucking stupid. Or I even saw one today when I was just kind of scouring around. It's like, oh, is there a chance that Drew Barrymore's character didn't die? I was like, no, what? there is no chance. Her guts are hanging out of her stomach. Yeah, I know. You just can't do it, man. You can't bring anybody back. It just it doesn't work. Um. Okay, so <laughs> the one I have is just Treehouse of Horror. It's been airing on Halloween lately. It is officially moved. I'll give you one guess. It's a Fox show, The Simpsons. Why would it be moved in this time? What do you think the schedule might conflict with? Big event going on right now. I believe we're in game five. (laughs) Yeah, so that got moved. I guess it was supposed to air on the 18th, which was like last week. Shit. Oh, I thought it was tomorrow. We need to move it. Uh, They might have 
I think they just said, well, we better just move it to where it's after the World Series no matter what, just in case. I haven't seen any of those in so many years. Like, I remember as a kid watching them, you know, every year kind of thing. But, like, when was the last time you guys actually watched one of those? Like, I honestly haven't seen a new episode of The Simpsons, and I'm not joking, probably in 15 years. I, as far as the Treehouse of Horror goes, I still watch that every year. But I was actually kind of doing a marathon of those at the beginning of October, and I got, I think, to the 12th or 13th. One of my main issue with those is that they stopped, like, actually parodying horror movies at a certain point. We're just like, okay, yeah, we're just going to do saying. bizarro world stories about anything. And to me, I, they're still fun, but the whole appeal of them was the fact that they that the writing was so good the way they, like, did satire of – you know, horror movies. Well, yeah, and, because it's fun for the horror fan because you're like, oh, he's there's they're, they're doing a parody of uh, The Shiny mixed with The Evil Dead and and uh, Night of the Demon because that dude just got his penis bit off. No, it wouldn't happen in The Simpsons, <laughs> but um, but yeah, no, I get what you're saying though, man. When you have that familiarity to it, you're like, oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. The the way they like write the satire of like tropes that we all recognize in horror movies and. It's always it's all the writing was always the best when you could tell that that people writing it actually were familiar with the movies uh, instead of just being like okay we generically know what a slasher movie is like they would actually parody like dialogue and actual scenes from the movies that's really what what made Trials of Horror so good mm-hmm. uh, growing because gr- you know growing up I was a fan of horror movies and The Simpsons and so those Halloween ones were pretty cool um so they're still gonna be uh, it'll be number 31 wow 31 so crazy um nobody asked me (laughs) uh i am a diehard simpsons fan i have never missed an episode and i will never miss an episode uh I, I am not one of the downers when it comes to The Simpsons. Yes. Is the show not as strong as it was 15 years ago? Fine. Yes, I can agree to that. But it's still one of the funniest shows on TV. It's still better than most of Fox's you know, animated shows. Bob's Burgers might be the exception. But I, I'm sorry. The, the Simpsons are my third favorite TV show of all time. I'm a diehard fan, and la- and and you and we're all horror guys. Why is no one talking about last season? You do remember we got three horror episodes last season on The Simpsons. Yeah, uh, we got yeah. Halloween of Horror. We got the uh, the traditional Treehouse of Horror number thirty, and then we got Thanksgiving of Horror. And Thanksgiving of Horror was actually fucking spectacular. I love that episode. Yeah, I was shocked how good that was. Exactly. So. I know, I, I know, you know, the naysayers are out there, but I mean, you got to realize, thirty-one years—that's two-thirds of my fucking mm-hmm. life that the Simpsons have been a part of it. It will always be in my top three favorite shows. It, it, that's never going to change, and uh, I will definitely be one of the few people who will be sad when the Simpsons finally goes off the air. I'm sure there's going to be a nationwide celebration of all the haters, you know, celebrating that it finally gets canceled. I will definitely not be one of those numbers because uh, yeah. new new Simpsons episodes to me are still a treat. I still look forward to them every Sunday. I just feel like it's not going to get canceled. It'll eventually get everything gets canceled. It might not, it I mean, might not get canceled. Yeah, I thought it would be canceled years ago. I'm not a hero. The, the only way that would be canceled is if they can't get replacements for those voices. I think, or I think the, 
that's what I that's exactly what I said before. I feel like The Simpsons is gonna end when some of the major voices die off and they're just like, nah, we can't. Oh, exactly. It. I mean, we almost lost The Simpsons two years ago because of the contract dispute. Because yeah, everybody yeah. on the show had to take like a I forget, it was like a fifteen percent pay cut or something. Um, <laughs> because of Fox, you know, Fox's financial situation. And um a lot of them refused and eventually they were able to make it work out. But yeah, we almost lost The Simpsons two years ago, which again, I know I'm in the minority in you know um talking about that like it's a sad thing but you know whatever yeah, it's I, one of my favorite shows it always will be i i've always liked the simpsons i just don't watch it you know i mean it, it goes back to the whole thing i don't really watch tv in general right so oh, yeah yeah that's i mean yeah absolutely um I'm, I'm talking more about the simpsons detractors you know the people who are like it'll never be as good as the first 10 seasons so why should i watch it it's like well i don't want you watching it anyway fuck off <laughs> you, you know? know what seasons i really like though man i think it was like uh must have been like the third and fourth seasons when conan o'brien wrote for that show yeah that, uh, seasons two a lot six. of yeah a lot of those episodes are so fucking good man <laughs> oh, great no absolutely awesome yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, the old uh, nothing's going to touch those first ten seasons of The Simpsons, and and I accept that. You mm-hmm. know, it's never going to be the glorious fucking must see TV that it used to be. But I, like I said, I'm one of the few who still have a smile on my face every Sunday night. I'm ready to watch it. I, you know, I'll always be a fan. Blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I said, I thought last year was a resurgence. I thought last season, season 30, I, I thought they had some really cool storylines. Uh, the, the episode where Marge got a job at a medicinal marijuana shop was a fucking great episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I said, three horror episodes last season. I mean, they really, I don't know if it was, I, I don't know if that was like their way of trying to boost, uh, sagging ratings, but I love last season. I thought they did a great job. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I still enjoy it. I'm kind of like moves where I'll watch it when it's whenever I can if I have a Sunday free. Mm-hmm. Sunday's usually one of my recording days for a lot of shows, so it's kind of tough sometimes because I'm usually recording. But I usually do like watch it like if it's on like on demand or I I try to end up recording the big ones anyways that I want to see like the Tree Houses of Horrors. Mm-hmm. So. That's what I usually end up doing with a lot of those. And, you know, I love any show that makes fucking references to Homer Ziller. Fucking yeah, absolutely. I love it. That, and the other... It's about, we, we, yeah, that, that's football day for me, man. So. Oh, absolutely. For most of us, definitely. But on the West Coast, by the time The Simpsons come on, all football is over. So, you know... It I guess it does, it does play late, though, doesn't it? Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah. Um... And uh, another thing I was going to say, too, is that, you know, we all have our 31 days of horror challenges in October with the inclusion of the extra Halloween of Horror episode last year. We now have officially 31 horror episodes of The Simpsons. So you can now do one Treehouse of Horror a day for the whole month of October. Officially. Uh, That's really cool. Mood, you should do that. Just review Treehouse of Horror episodes. That would be cool if they released like a huge set of all of them at some point. That would be, that would really be cool. great. I know back in the DVD days, they actually did have a couple of the horror episodes, but they weren't in order. It's not mm-hmm. like you got one through six on one DVD. You'd get like season two. Yeah, it was kind of like five. the Goosebump DVDs that came out of this random episodes. Exactly, right, yeah. yeah sure. but, but for anybody who has Disney Plus, uh, they actually do have all the Simpsons. Well, they, they obviously they have the entire series, but they also have a folder of just the Treehouse of Horror episodes, so you could just binge all of them in one sitting if you wanted to. Yeah, Disney's making a killing with that shit, yo. Hell yeah. 
Woo. All right, Mike, what else we got for news? Michael? Mike fell asleep. It's over. <laughs> no, my mic's muted. I think my, my optical mouse, I think the batteries are, like, starting to get lame on it. Um, so, yeah, th- so we actually have a confirmation on this one. It's not in talks. It's not, oh, I'd like to. It's not a random quote from a random cast Bruce member. Campbell is Freddy Cougar? <laughs> yeah. Although I almost included a news item about him because he talked about the supposed upcoming Evil Dead, but then oh. it, the news item ended with, "Oh, it's very close to happening." So I was like, "No, fuck that, not talking about it." But uh, no, this one has been confirmed. It was the the news item is about a week old now, but uh, Dexter is coming back. Uh, they yeah. Showtime decided to bring it back. And I read in the article, it sounds like what they're doing is because they use the term reboot in the in the first article. So I was like, oh, no, like, are they starting it all over? But then it looks like what they're doing is they're picking it up. So in a sense, they're rebooting the show, but it's more like continuing it. Like they're just bringing it back. Oh, I heard. Sounds like. Yeah, their terminology is literally when they mean reboot, it's just, it's been off the air for a while. They just want to kickstart it again, but it's the narrative is going to be taking place right where it left off. So essentially what they want to do is they want to finish off the show properly because they know. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like though, what, however they pick up though, he's already going to be back to being Dexter because it sounds like they're not going to actually, have like a season of him being lumberjack Dexter, like coming back. Cause no, 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 for sure. For sure. I think, I think it's just going to be implied that, you know, he's right. Dexter. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. He, there has been time past, if they said it in that real time, it's like, okay, well this is, I'm sure there'll be a little bit of a montage. Like here's lumberjack uh, Dexter. And then he's back with the, um, you know, with the police and stuff. So yeah. Or whatever. So does that mean, I'm trying to think it did uh, his sister, Deborah Morgan, on that ship and all that, did she die? It's been so long since I seen it. Um, cause didn't he, died, yeah, because they did like the he faked. Yeah, you death, never actually right? get to see it though. Yeah, yeah, oh, it's so all implied. That's why they're okay. able to do this season. So there's the opening for her to come back. Okay, absolutely. Yeah, and I think uh, we were actually talking about this um, the other day, but man, it's. I, I wish, man. It, it probably wouldn't make sense. They pro- I don't think they would do it, but man, if there was ever a way to get Dokes back, like, oh, Dokes didn't die, because <laughs> he, di- he died way too Imagine soon. he just comes back, cause... we'll have a burnt face. Surprise, motherfucker. Burnt face? He was just a torso last time we saw him. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you never know he's got planted. I'm just saying that. <laughs> That'd be great. Just a walking torso. <laughs> surprise, motherfucker. He's the black. He's the, he's the that little black. That would be the ultimate freak. surprise, motherfucker. <laughs> Yeah, as in the viewers are like, what? Um, but oh, yeah, man, I, just hit a home run. He died in that in that show way too soon. It sucks, and you you could yeah. tell that you could tell too because when Quinn came along, they tried to make Quinn. Oh, he now he's the new suspicious like guy on the on the beat, but it was never the same. He lives him. longer in the books though. Dokes doesn't die like that in the books. Really. Yeah. I, it's been a while since I've read him, but I, I know the first I just, book, I believe. Yeah, it's in the, in the third book, I think, yeah. So he lasts a little bit longer, but yeah. Yep. <sighs> yeah. And actually yeah, the whole thing with the kids and the, the books are so much different than where the T V show goes with the with the yeah. kids. It's, it's kinda like the shit. Walking Dead thing where the books are so different than the show at some points with characters coming and going. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My, honestly, 
season four is probably the pinnacle of Dexter for me. And every other season just couldn't match what season four did. Season four is literally one of the greatest seasons of television ever. I fucking that's, love that. That's Lithgow, right? Yes, yeah. sir. The Trinity. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, Trinity and then season five was okay, and then but six and seven is where you could just see it just holy fuck, yeah. seriously. Yeah, fucking Edward James almost and Colin Hanks one season, like Jesus Christ. But I always say though, it's like you know, is even though those those episodes or those seasons weren't as enjoyable as the previous ones, they're still not as bad as the the final season of Entourage. That is the worst <laughs> shit ever. That might be the worst season to a great show of all time. Yeah, fuck, well, was that ever bad? Oh. What season was it on Dexter that kind of saved the season because Peter Weller showed up as like a private detective or investigator or something, and he made a really good rival with Dexter as well, like oh, figuring out oh, what man. Dexter it's, was all up to. Like I haven't yeah. seen him since they since last season. I don't know. It's been a while. I want to say six. Maybe that was six. I think because it was after Deb found out that what Dexter is, and that was at the that was the season six finale. When Deb found Dexter, like in the act, yeah. And so yeah. the following season, so it was either six or seven. It's one of those. Yeah, yeah. Um, back to season four with the Trinity Killer. I thought that was such like a ballsy thing to do. Where like, you know, it and before that final final scene with Julia Benz, like you know, the season wraps up kind of typical like. Dexter had a good rivalry, but he gets his man, and like you think, okay, we're gonna wind down the episode, and then he gets home, and yeah. Trinity yeah. Killer technically had the last laugh anyway. That ending wow. is, uh, you know, I it's use awesome. the word I use the word gut punch ending. That ending is the sheer definition of gut punch. My stomach literally hurt for an hour after watching the episode. I like I was so tense and tight. I literal edge of my seat, literally on the edge of my couch for the whole last 5 minutes of that episode. And yeah, my stomach hurt for at least an hour after the episode because I was just clenching so tight. Yeah, and I, I think I think part of it too, is because her character actually had like a huge arc in yeah. the show. The way she started mm-hmm. out, and yeah, she was a she fi- Yeah, she finally was getting over her demons, and she was turning into like you know a normal, loving like girlfriend or wife. That's what makes uh, it work so well, though, man. Yeah, right? yeah, like exactly. First exactly. That's what I'm saying. Season so, four, right. she's listening to Banana Rama and fucking Cruel Summer and shit. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and shit. yeah. That's what I'm saying. That's what made the gut punch that much severe because you. Yeah. You could finally see her character evolving and taking that turn for the better, and you're like, wow, like her and Dexter might actually have some type of future together because she is embracing him now, and she's, you know, I guess, quote unquote, becoming more normal. And and fuck, man, like, and it kind of tombs his uh, son too because he he gets born into violence too, like Dexter, his father was. It's a family trait. Yeah, they're they're not going to get out of it, unfortunately. Hereditary, part two. (laughs) I'd be curious to see if they play with that at all during this. Oh, they'd almost have to. I mean, it's such a huge factor on the show. I mean, as much as you know, his dad tried to get him out of it. Got tried to get him out of that mentality. All he was able to do was just kind of guide him towards a slightly better path than just ending up in jail for the rest of his life. You know, the dark passage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, gotta have rules. You gotta have rules. I could watch that Dark Passenger monologue on loop for hours. I remember the first time I saw that episode. I believe it's season two, episode two or three, at the AA meeting, and he does the Dark Passenger uh, monologue. 
dude, I was out of breath. I, I, I literally was holding my breath throughout that entire monologue. And by the, by the end of it, my heart was racing. I was sweating. I'm like, you just fucking, you just described every addiction in history fucking to right on the nose, just perfectly. And, you know, calling it the dark passenger, it, it just, I mean, you couldn't have, um, you couldn't have personified it any better. So, yeah, I mean, that yeah. show, Dexter, I love Dexter. I can't really say it's one of my favorite shows ever, but it definitely has its absolute golden moments. All of season four, I think the last episode of season five, the um, another gut punch with the Lumen character leaving him when he thought he was actually developing a relationship with her. Um, the end of season two with the Skinner, I mean... The show isn't great beginning to end, but it has some stellar historic TV moments, in my opinion. Well, you said Simpsons was your number three, so what are your one and two? Uh, Twin Peaks and Mystery Science Theater 3000. And not too distant wow. future. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I number have, two, Venom. <laughs> <laughs> I have tattoos of my top three shows on me. <laughs> wow. What's your Simpsons tattoo? Uh, Blinky, the fish. Oh, nice. I love my three-eyed fish. Cool. Yeah, so that's really the only news item I had to bring, because it was like we had something to actually confirm, not just a rumor or anything, so I was like, okay, I'll I'll bring it up, and it's only a week old as opposed to a month old, so I was like, yeah, it's still pretty relevant. This just came up, this just came out, Mike, breaking news. Uh Uh-oh. Feruza Balk has been cast as Freddy Krueger in a female-centric <laughs> version of <laughs> I thought you were going to say Michael C. Hall is in talk with Freddy or something. <laughs> I would actually watch that, though. <laughs> Dexter is Freddy? <laughs> hey, Michael C. Hall could pull it off. <laughs> yeah, maybe. He actually has kind of like the more frame, like Robert England, probably, like about that. All right, so... We don't really have a burning question so much for this episode, but since uh, this will probably be, other than our actual Halloween commentary special, that'll be dropping soon as well. Uh, this is the closest uh, thing we have coming out to Halloween as far as standard episodes go. So I thought uh, we would see what kind of Halloween plans we're having, if any, because of our modified year going on with the pandemic we also have myself and moods our parents derek and venom not so i will say for myself we are still kind of up in the air i think what we're going to end up doing is we're going to buy candy because i have a feeling that regardless there's going to be some trick-or-treaters so for the ones that do i guess brave it out there we'll still probably give out candy as far as our kids go though i don't know i don't think we're taking them trick-or-treating but i know my mom brought up like the idea of like do, almost doing like an easter egg hunt style thing with candy either at our, our house or their house so, do something for them because we did costumes because they wanted them so they're going to want to dress up and do something but i don't know I, moods what's the, like the kind of the temperature with everything going on up there i i know down here it's like very it 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 uh, it's so different depending on state and city you live in. Up there, I know you guys have opened up again somewhat. Is it like back to normal, or is it still kind of modified, or how how's how's it working up there? Well, uh, it's it's 
you know, it, it, everything is open back up. I mean, there's modifications to everything, you know, with the amount of people you can have in certain, you know, facilities and things like that. Like when it comes to sports and hockey with my kid and stuff, like I drop them off. I can't go in the arena and watch, <laughs> you know, it's, it's shit like that. So everything's not normal, normal. Everything's still kind of fucked up and stuff. As for like trick or treating and things, it's still able to go on. But it, from what I've heard, so many people are not doing the trick or treating this year. My kid's actually terrified to go out. I don't know why something got in his head and he's just like, I'm not going, there's COVID. I'm like, fuck dude, I'm not going to catch candy. But, um, so as for that, like I, the majority of people that I know are going to do like, which I think is kind of funny in itself. If you're going to go to like, you know, a certain area and do a trick or treat like that, it's actually just creating more of uh traffic. You know, mm-hmm. I, I still think that whole idea is really bizarre and shit like that. So I don't really know exactly what we're going to do. I know, we just had an idea of just kind of sticking around the house and, uh, you know, just watching films and, you know, just doing regular type Halloween things um, that you'd probably do after trick or treating and things like that. So no real big plans this year at all. I mean, it's just a fucked up year. Um, yeah. Temperature wise, yeah, it is honestly a little bit colder than it's supposed to be right now. I mean, we just don't have winter like snow until, you know, I mean, December kind of thing, but we got nailed with it like, you know, first week in October, this is the weirdest shit. So yeah, temperature wise, it's a little bit colder, even if you were going to be trick or treating, um, which is again, odd, but, uh, I don't know, man. I mean, from like what I've heard, it's just a lot of people are just kind of sticking in and not even going to be handing out candy and shit. So it's kind of strange. Yeah. Um, I know schools here, they, I mean, they do this even when there's not pandemic conditions going on, they do like that trunk or treat, thing or like parents and teachers do that but i would think this year if they did something like that they would kind of handle it the way they are with like supply pickup where you never get out of your car it's like the teachers are set up and they have you kind of drive through the school and hand stuff out so if the school's doing that i could see us taking the kids to that just like do something but and i've also noticed like the in our neighborhood there's still some houses like decorating but there's a lot less because people are probably afraid that you know if they start going all out in their yard and stuff it's going to make people go to their house and they're like i don't oh yeah it's been it's been a very odd year because actually the street that's right across from mine um everybody on the street gets together and they have like all this kind of communal uh decorations stuff they do for christmas also so everybody's house is fully decorated and it just it goes it's like a whole street like that right well Uh this year they haven't done the halloween so i think everyone just shut it right down man like not one house is decorated it's pretty it's almost eerie because i'm so used to seeing that just you know that full collage that full aesthetic of halloween or christmas whatever time of year it is and uh just nothing obviously they'll probably do for christmas just because you know you don't have people coming to your house but i I, i'm just assuming that it's going to be pretty dead out there this year so Mm -hmm. yeah I mean, as far as my as far as my kids go, they've actually they're actually taking it all in kind of in stride. Like they they don't seem like they're they're like personally like afraid of anything. They just know from what they've heard, like either from um, teachers when the shutdowns were you know before everything was shut down, but when it was trending towards it, and since they just kind of like like they said to me, they're like, oh yeah, we probably can't do that this year because of COVID or whatever, right? And I'm like, yeah, and they just kind of take it in normal. Like they, they don't really have an opinion. I mean, they are young, so I don't expect them to, you know, to sit down and have like a long drawn out conversation, but they kind of are just of the thought process of like, well, I guess that's just what happens when there's some virus out there. This is just yeah. what we do. Like, so mm. I'm, I'm, 
pretty fortunate that they've taken my because you know I'm sure every kid's different depending on age and just them personally yeah, I mean, how they're gonna take it. I mean, he's he's dealing with it. I mean, he wants to. I mean, every kid wants to go out and trick or treat and get that candy and stuff. But I mean, we've done what we usually do. We have the inside of the house decorated and things like that. And you know, I've I've bought like a ton of candy, so we've got candy all over the house and shit. So it's not like he's going to be deprived of that, you know, that festive feeling, you know, aesthetic and also having candy around and things like that. So do the best you can. Hopefully we'll be straightened out by next year. But, you know, I mean, there's I, 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 I mean, I trick or treated every year till I was like 13 kind of thing. And then, you know, that was kind of the end. My parents wouldn't really let me out of the house after that on Halloween. Yeah. So, But you know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, he's still 10. He's still got a few more years left of this. And, you know, hopefully he, he can, you know, do it next year and kind of thing. Because, I mean, it was always a fun thing as a kid, right? You know, you just yeah. don't want to be deprived mm-hmm. of that. Oh, yeah. but I mean, Especially when I you go egging and throwing fish heads at people. Fuck yeah. yeah. So <laughs> I just, I've got a ton of Halloween kid film. You know, watch them and stuff. We, you know, got things planned, you know, and just got to make do with what you can do so it sucks it's it's odd but i mean it's been the whole year right so yeah just don't remember moves the greatest kid horror film is porno holocaust Make <laughs> <it worse. laughs> right <laughs> yeah what about you derek how does your neighborhood look are people oh i got a bb gun or? already i mean he knocks on the door they're getting fucking shot <laughs> all right i got two elderly, par- I got two elderly parents uh, all bets are off. Get off my lawn. Well, like, how would it is? Do you does your household normally give out candy most years? Or you're just not. Yeah. It's different because of the pandemic. I don't know. I just I'm not risking them getting sick because they're old. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's a. I mean, that, that's I think sometimes what people don't consider is like kids. I mean, yes, most kids are probably. Not in the germ grabbers, but if they're the germ spreaders, yeah, it's like they're the ones that they'll show up at your house all perfectly fine, and then they give it to you, and then you're shit out of luck after. Mm. But Mm. uh, Venom, you're you're in an apartment, are you? I am. Yes, I'm in Sherman Oaks. Um, we don't really have a lot of families here. This is kind of a, 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 a kind of a professional couples building. Uh-huh. You, got a, you got a lot of like twenty and thirty year old childless couples in here. You know, um, Mrs. Venom and myself included. Um, but we do, you know, we do get some trick or treaters every now and then. But uh, unfortunately, because Mrs. Venom works nights. We almost never are able to do anything together on holidays, and she also works most holidays, like Christmas and Thanksgiving and uh, stuff like that. Yeah. So it's the kind of thing where I've I've just kind of become accustomed to spending most holidays by myself and just kind of doing whatever the hell I want. Obviously, this year with the pandemic, it makes it even worse. But because Halloween is on a Saturday this year, uh, Mrs. Venom actually does have the day off, so. Um, we've narrowed down our options to two things. We are either going to the Friday the 13th double feature at the drive-in in Montrose, which is uh, about an hour away from where I live, or the other thing that we're thinking about doing is, and I, I probably could have talked about this during the news segment, but it, this segment works just as well. Uh, for fans of American Horror Story, specifically season one, Murder House, uh, there's actually going to be an online virtual live ho- live stream Halloween event uh, that's going to be a three-day event going on from Thursday, October 29th to Sunday, November 1st. 
and it's basically a pay-per-view event. It's going to it's going to be $25 if you want to be a part of it. Like I said, you get all 3 days for the 25. And there's going to be various events throughout the 3 days. There's going to be a live paranormal investigation. Uh, there's going to be multiple seances. There's going to be a, um, a, a famous vampire author is going to be there reading excerpts from uh, a couple of her books. There's going to be tarot readings. There's going to be an energy healer, psychics, psychiatrists. It's going to be like a just a big old event. So, like I said, for fans of American Horror Story, specifically Murder House, the, there's going to be a live event online. You can get information at the uh, themurderhouse.com. All one word, just themurderhouse.com. Like I said, tickets are twenty-five dollars. Um, it, it, if you if you go to bloodydisgusting.com, they currently have a list of all the events that are going to be going on over the three days. So it looks kind of fun, and you know, it's a nice alternative to going out on Halloween. It, you know, you could still watch some, uh, you know, get your horror movie watches in in between actual events. But um, like I said, it's going to be taking place at the, I, I probably forgot to mention that it will actually be taking place at the murder house itself. Um, the house is um, the, uh, the real house is in Los Angeles. Um, it is actually decorated very closely to the murder house, specifically for this event. So. Um, it's just something to throw out there. If you guys are interested, check it out. But that's, you know, if the drive-in plan doesn't work out, because I got a feeling that uh, drive-in on Halloween night this year is going to be an absolute fucking madhouse. Uh, we have no movie theaters in California at all that are open, or at least not in Southern California. And with most of the drive-ins out here doing some kind of, you know, Halloween-style uh, movies, then... You know, th those places are going to be packed. So we're leaning towards the virtual event, but we will see. It's going to be one of those, too. Um, the, like I said, the Mission Tiki drive-in out in Montrose is going to be showing uh, the original Friday the 13th and Friday the 13th, the final chapter. My two absolute favorite entries in the franchise, so it makes sense for me to go. I know it seems redundant since the Friday box set just came out, but come on. It's Halloween night at the drive-in. How am I not going to go see Friday the 13th? So, yeah. There it is. Fuck yeah. <laughs> Sweet. That's cool. That's cool that you still manage to get some plans in. Yeah. Yep. All right. Cool. Well, I, you know, I just thought I'd ask us all that since Halloween is coming up. We are what six days away, I think. So less than a week. I can't believe it. October flew by. Yeah. Yeah. Especially for Dodger fans. <laughs> can't wait to make more videos. Where I'm like fucking up. And welcome to the next day of the 31 days of horror. Blah 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 blah. <laughs> Yeah, right. happens every year. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess we will move right along and uh, take a short break. And when we get back, Derek, you're going to be piloting the ship or captaining the ship. Either either term, I guess, will, works uh, because it's your picks. And I don't even know if we said what movies we're covering. So, oh, we're, are we talking we're, about? We're covering some fucked up shit, man. <laughs> Something that, that that's not for home really. We're covering a movie. Executive Koala. We'll get into the reason why that movie's called that in a minute. But, uh, and we're also doing Tokyo Zombie. And I kind of did this in a jealous fit of anger. You know, I'm going to watch 2005 movies 
for a certain other show. And I said, why not bring the other guy that I had to watch these movies with on this show? That's why Moods is here. Yeah, there's a couple of themes here for for sure. The Asian theme and uh, the 2005 theme, which makes a lot of sense. And, you know, I'm like, why not? I'll make everyone torture and suffer through these movies. Even though I, I, I swear I do kind of like these movies on various levels. But I'm curious what you guys think of them, because I'm actually... I don't think me and I think me and Moose might have talked about a few of them. I think he actually did a review of one of them on his YouTube channel years ago. Mm-hmm. It's just you know I'm thinking maybe with a fresher eyes from when he did the review, what he thinks about it now, and plus I I know kind of like I don't know what Mike's opinion is at all because he's like he feels like he got changed after watching these movies. <laughs> changed for the better. <laughs> You know, but we'll, we'll get into it in a minute, man. We'll get into it, but, you know, Tokyo Zombies, the other movie. Uh, yeah, a wild movie. I'll get into the little history of that when we get into it. And kind of a connection to the director when we get into it, what you might recognize him from when we get into it. Cool. Well, with that, we'll take a short break and be right back. Oh, I'm sick of doing Japanese stuff. In jail, we had to be in this dumb kabuki play about the 47 Ronin, and I wanted to be Oshi, but they made me Ori. Then we had to do two hours of origami, followed by flower arranging and meditation. Satori no Himitsu Oshi Eruno? Dameyo. Are wa gakogujindaro. Honey, I know you want to see Japan, but we're down to our last million yen. Don't worry, Ichiban. I'll show you something Japanese. Oh, it's beautiful, Dad. It's a crane. The Japanese believe they bring good luck. Be careful. We need that money to get home. <gasps> no! You motherfucker, me! That's right, motherfuckers. We are back up in this. 2005 up in this bitch. And we're going to Atlanta, Japan. And the first movie up is Executive Koala from 2005. Uh... Little short synopsis. Tamura is an average divorce salary man in Japan and also a man sized suit and tie wearing bipedal koala bear. That is right. That's the synopsis from IMDb. I'll go into a little bit more detail. This movie is kind of like a murder mystery slash thriller with some crime aspects with it. You know, I'll even admit it, it may be a borderline horror, but just admitting that you have fucking people dressed up as fucking animals in this movie. (laughs) Where the fuck do you put this movie in your fucking collection, in that sense, where you're following a giant walking koala bear? (laughs) You know? You know, it makes perfect sense when you find out who the director of this movie is, and that is Minoru Kawaski who, his filmography is fucking weird as fuck. Actually, Moods picked up one of his movies, one of his last updates, The Rug Cop. Yeah, yeah, I know. I've heard nothing but weird things about it. I always wanted to pick up The Calamari Wrestler. That one sounded ridiculous. Uh, It's bizarre. (laughs) It's bizarre. It's actually about what its title is about, a giant squid that wrestles people. (laughs) Uh, He actually has a new one out I haven't seen about a crab goalie. 
like a oh, giant so... crack building. And uh, for us kaiju fans, he actually directed the sequel to The X from Outer Space, Monster X Strikes Back, The Attack on the G8 Summit, where it has uh, Galala, the monster from The X from Outer Space, coming back to Earth to try to fight the G8 Summit. And he ends up fighting Beach Takashi, Golden Statue, and it's actually played by Beach Takashi, or Takashi Katano, whatever name you want to bring up. Pretty much the teacher from Battle Royale playing Golden Statue in that movie, and it's fucking amazing. <laughs> Have you ever seen Pussy Suit before? Yes. <laughs> That's a great title. Yeah. <laughs> he has bizarre films, and he has a bizarre, quirky sense of humor in his movies. And this is no exception. It is very bizarre. It's a bizarre piece of Asian cinema. And I always want to... I, I, quick backstory, I actually made Jerry Herring from Kill the Cast watch this movie, and this is how decisive humor is in movies. He fucking hated this movie, which is weird that Jerry would, because, well, it's not really weird, because he we made him watch Death Kappa, too. That makes sense, man. <laughs> you know, but uh, it's very decisive, and it's very odd and weird, and I kind of like it, you know, if you did want to, it kind of has like a psychological horror feel to it in some of the scenes, especially him being kind of like, did he really kill his, when we find out, did he really do these things that they're accusing him of? It kind of has like that unreliable narrator scenario that I know Venom and me kind of like in these type of movies. Mm-hmm. And, uh... Yeah, I'll get around right back. Uh, and I'm just going to go right to Venom. I, have you seen this one before, and what did you think about it? Uh, this was actually a first-time watch for me. It's a movie that I had heard of for at least ten years now. I mean, you don't rem- you don't forget a title like Executive Koala, um, especially with that movie poster of, you know, our titular koala holding an axe with, you know, giant red eyes I, that... Uh, that image is very iconic, so you don't really forget that. But I never did watch the film, so this was a first-time watch for me. And I gotta say, other than just my sheer confusion as to you know, like what actually was going on, I had a great time watching this film. It's a visual feast. I mean, there's animated sequences in here. There's a goddamn musical trial Yes, an actual court trial set up as a musical, which I didn't know whether to laugh or scratch my head the entire scene, so I did both, and it worked out well. Um, yeah, I just the music is so bizarre in it, and also oh. the way the actors are portraying the lyrics and stuff is just so weird. Yeah, it's very over-the-top, very kabuki yeah. cinema, um, you know, with, with, with their mannerisms and everything oh, else. Yeah, very um, Yeah, like I said, the, the, the only issue I have with this movie, and I totally agree with Derek's assessment, that it's not really a horror film. I mean, there are horror elements no. here and there, but it's not really horror. It's solidly a murder mystery thriller with some comedy thrown in, and I'm okay with that. I think it, I still had a great time with it. But like I said, the main thing with me was just a confusing plot line. Because there would be, uh, there would be constant reveals of you know, the executive koala's past, and then suddenly um, a person from his past would show up out of nowhere, 
And it's like, well, wait a minute. We thought that person was dead. Is this a dream? Am I watching a dream sequence? And then it's not a dream sequence. No. And and then we get a scene at the psychiatrist's office with um, Executive Koala, President Bunny, and the psychiatrist <laughs> where – with, where President Bunny and the psychiatrist try to explain everything to him. Yeah, and that, that like all happens. Reveal. Yeah, oh. that all happens before we get that second kind of twist or reveal with that person from the past. Exactly. Yeah, that's what I that's, mean. So it's like it left me wondering, like, did that scene actually happen? Was that in his head? D- d- were President Bunny and the psychiatrist in on it? It's like, it, for a first-time watch, there's a lot of twists and turns to kind of wrap your head around. And then, like I said, the return of a character from the past kind of leaves you scratching your head, but then when they reveal uh, that aspect of the storyline of why she's back and why she was ever a part of his life to begin with... It's like it, a character-slash-characters. Yeah, I think exactly. <laughs> It's like, it like a Scooby-Doo like, moment. Like, wow. It is a, it is a ah. Scooby-Doo moment. Yeah, definitely. And I thought this, I you know, for the first half of the movie, I thought we were going for like a split personality, you know, disassociative identity disorder type thing, like M. Night Shyamalan split, you know, because he blacks out. Because there are scenes in the movie where Executive Koala passes out. Uh, should I say blacks out, not passes out. He blacks yeah. out. And, you know, someone ends up dying and then he comes to and, you know, he thinks he did it and blah, blah, blah. Um, So that part of it is a story that we've seen before. But just the reveal after reveal after reveal in this movie, um, by the time we get to the final battle, I wasn't 100 percent sure how to think about the characters like like I was I was definitely confused on is executive koala a hero or a villain here like I'm so right up until the last 5 minutes of the movie I'm so confused as to who our protagonist is who our true antagonist is blah 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 um I did end up watching it a second time because we were supposed to record this episode a week or two ago and I just wanted to go ahead and refresh the films and on second watch I definitely had a lot more fun with it uh, I appreciated a lot of its um, idiosyncrasies, its its mild attempts at humor, and then its heavy-handed attempts at humor as well. They all worked for me um, from the comedy aspect of it. Now, you know, Derek, you know, Derek and Moods among us probably have the most experience with Asian cinema, but I like to consider myself having a, a little bit of experience with over-the-top Asian cinema. You know, the happiness of the Katakuris, things like that. And, uh, you know, uh, 1977's House, I mean, you know, Japan is, uh, Asia in general has given us some amazing over-the-top horror films, and that's what I was kind of hoping to get with this one. I didn't quite get what I was expecting, but I definitely enjoyed my journey with it, and like I said, on the second watch, I laughed more, and I appreciated the storyline a little bit more, because like I said, this is a very hard first watch with all the reveals and the potential dream sequences and the potential antagonists and protagonists that it might leave you scratching your head but ultimately it's a fun ride if you're a fan of you know over the top um asian cinema there's no reason not to like this film i i thought the characters were great 
Um, there are a lot of things, like if we were going to get into more heavy spoiler-filled uh, discussion on this movie, it did leave me with some questions. There were some legitimate questions I had about the film. First and foremost, how the hell does he take that girl back after everything that happens? But again, mm-hmm. that's you know that's just a filmmaker choice, and I'm okay with it. I'm not I'm not necessarily railing against where the movie went so much as I would love to sit down with this director for like 15, 20 minutes and just talk about this movie. Yeah, Yeah, just this film, though, just so I can get his take, like what what the... the story that he wanted me to go on, the path that he wanted me to go on, did I go on it? Did I miss something? Because I guarantee I missed stuff on that first watch because I was taking notes frantically. And of course, it is an Asian film, so it's subtitled. So I was constantly rewinding because, you know, I'm a, I'm a major note taker. I've got uh, one, two, I got three and a half pages of notes for Executive Koala, but most of them are questions. Then eventually, a lot of them end up getting answered by the time you get up to the end of the film but then when you get to the end of the film there's a couple of more questions that end up being created that um doesn't necessarily take away my enjoyment of the film i just am very confused on certain choices that were made but overall had a lot of fun with this movie some cool set pieces um you know not as many animals as I'd like. I mean, you know, we, we get the koala, we get President Bunny, we get uh, the bodega frog, um, and then Momo, which is basically a, what, an animatronic stuffed animal? Yeah, <laughs> I don't even know what the fuck that's like supposed to be. It's flying squirrel. It's flying squirrel. It's weird. Yes, flying squirrel, mm-hmm. um, which ended up actually being a, a kind of a funny part of the movie. Like, when Momo first shows up, I definitely rolled my eyes. I'll happily admit, I was like, what the fuck, really? But by the end of the film, I'm like, all right, I'm totally on board for Momo. I think that works okay. Again, it's a horror comedy, so of course there's going to be, and it's Asian, so there's going to be weird characters, weird creatures, things like that. So if if you kind of know what you're in for, I think you're going to have a really good time with it. But if you I mean if you think that you're getting like a grudge or ring style Japanese horror film, you're absolutely not. Um, no, really no, different. No. Exactly. I mean, if you're looking for something different to watch, I couldn't recommend this film anymore. But yeah, I ended up after my second watch, I ended up loving this film and I'm probably going to pick up the blue. So yeah. <laughs> there uh, it is. Sorry. You know, the way I would describe it, it's kind of like a giallo with fucking animals in it. Yeah, I could see that, definitely. Yeah, there's a, lots of twists and turns within this one, which, you know, which brings back to the Scooby-Doo, because giallo films are like the Scooby-Doo of our genre, where you're like, what the fuck just happened there, you know? Yeah. Like, you know, like when I watched Eyeball for the first time, whoa, that's so Scooby-Doo and awesome. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyways, uh, now, I gotta go... I'm going to Moods. I'll, I'll get final thoughts on this later. Moods, you've seen this one before. Yeah, I've seen, this, I've seen this one a couple times, man. I, I do agree with the whole Giallo angle of this. It does kind of scream Giallo. It has, like, sensibilities of, like, film noir in there and, and just the craziness of Asian cinema. I think the biggest appeal for this film is, you know, when you start watching it, is the the odd world that it's set in because it's technically set in, in in like our reality, but it has these weird kind of animal. I wouldn't, I, they're not even humans. They're actually supposed to be animals, but it's self-aware of it too. That's the weirdest thing about this film is it has this tone. and It's very self-aware. 
that these humans are coinciding and living or working with these these koalas and the bodega frog and uh and you know the the bunny rabbit boss and stuff and and, and that actually kind of leads into one point that i i've, I've always kind of questioned when i watch this film because you know it takes place mostly in this office and we have you know the koala who's like this you know very steady kind of high class you know um business person that really does his job well and stuff and then we got this boss that's a rabbit and stuff and then there's this odd scene in the bodega where you know um the frog is working there and then this girl kind of shows up and she says oh it's a frog <laughs> and it's like out of bl- because nobody in the film at any point ever questions the koala or the white bunny and then there's this one odd scene where she's like oh it's a frog and i'm like what the fuck it's so it, it switches the tone and it's like okay i i was up to this point it was set in this reality that everybody was just accepting this and then she's just like oh it's a frog and i'm like what the fuck it's very strange um yeah i don't think this movie's a horror film at all it is more or less like a giallo you know kind of thriller type thing it's like it's a japanese giallo you know it doesn't have the sleaze it doesn't have any of the sleaziness of a giallo but it does have the mystery of it and it has the confusion of a giallo too you know, I've seen this movie two or three times now, and there's still questions, and I don't even think that there's even answers for them because Venom brought up the same things that I think everyone is probably thinking with this movie because, you know, this movie is played pretty straightforward. You know, it's about this character. He's a koala, and, you know, at the beginning of the film, his girlfriend gets um, mysteriously murdered. And, you know, before his wife had actually gone missing three years earlier, so basically the police are... Um, considering him to be the prime suspect and not only in his wife's disappearance, but of course his latest girlfriend's uh, murder. And, you know, he's trying to prove that he's not uh, the killer and stuff like that. And and it kind of plays straightforward for a while and stuff like that. And then we get this really strange um, kind of subplot where, well, it's not really a subplot. It's part of his job businessmen that come over and stuff and he's got to show them around and stuff and then we get this really kind of strange reveal where we have this boss and you know this you know for the psychiatrist and stuff and then they kind of reveal to you what they have done with this with the koala and you're like okay right it's accepting at that point but then this shit once it goes to Alcatrazu. <laughs> he goes to fucking so basically he ends up getting convicted of these murders and stuff and he goes to Alcatrazu and the movie just takes the weirdest turn it is so bizarre it's like it's really really fucking strange and okay so then we have him in jail and stuff he gets out and and then it goes into this kind of strange territory where we get some more twists and reveals that make you question everything that you just learned before he went to jail and like Again, you know, I was hoping that somebody could clarify this for me, but I'm not even 100% sure at this point that it is clarifiable, considering I don't think even Venom, I don't think Derek even has the answers to this, but um, it's very strange. I will say it's strange. And, you know, getting right down to the end, and, you know, even Venom brought it up about, you know, how he kind of gets back with, you know, with a person in the end of the film. And I'm just like, what the fuck is going on here? It makes no sense. But I think what the appeal is to this entire film is if you like these type of odd Asian oddities and stuff, this is the appeal is watching a movie about a koala living in this kind of semi-normal world and stuff. And I think that's what the appeal is. It's very strange. Ripped from the opening credits, man. The music is very odd. The lyrics are strange. You know, but then it gets into, it kind of has a semi-normal narrative. And then, and then it has what, you know, Venom alluded to with the, uh, the, um, the musical trial and stuff with the oddest music and oddest performances, man, the words, the lyrics, everything is just so strange in this shit. Of course, this is like most Asian films, you know, you can have a linear kind of weird, 
or kind of semi-normal premise, and then it just goes haywire. And this one's no different. I don't think this one is on the same levels as a lot of Asian films where they just go like machine gun girl and like all this. Like they're just batshit insane from start to finish. This one is just weird. It's just an odd film, and it's definitely got some narrative. It's problematic in the narrative, I think, a little bit. I think it yeah. tries to do a little bit too much in the end with some twists and turns. And I think it, I think it loses focus of what it accomplished. Because when you get that first reveal with what the psychiatrist and the boss have done, you're like, okay, you know, you're kind of going, okay, I'm on board with this. But then you're still kind of questioning what those true motives actually were anyways. Yeah, then it turns into the house that Jack built, and it goes into a totally different territory. Yeah, because you <laughs> but then at the end of the day, you kind of question what the true motives were, and you're like, what the, why would you even do this? Like, this doesn't even really make a lot of sense, but then it goes haywire. So, um, But it is definitely a fun watch, and it's memorable. You know, I mean, it has its horror elements to it. There is scenes of actually quite atmospheric kills and stuff um there's a couple scenes that are actually get really dark in that aspect and stuff and you know i mean the comedy to me it might be a a disconnect it might be a disconnect with um you know just the western world and stuff but some of the some of the comedy doesn't work for me some of it is just silly some of it does work it's all over the place you know i don't think this is the silliest film i've ever seen but it does at the end of the day, raise a lot of questions, but I still have a lot of fun with it. I mean, at the end of the day, this is a great example of a film where you watch and you go, yeah, man, you know, I was a little bit confused by some, uh, some narrative points here, but, um, had a lot of fun with it, you know, and I can kind of add into this because I think it does get a little bit messy and I I don't like to use the word messy towards the end, but it's, it's comical messy because the end battle, (laughs) It's <laughs> so ridiculous in this yeah. movie, dude. It's yeah. so utterly ridiculous that you can't help but just kind of laugh at it. But um, yeah, it's it's definitely weird. This is he's definitely like the Lars Van Trier of art house weird mm-hmm. animal <laughs> movies. <laughs> you know. But did you oh, not man. like laugh at the part where the girl was like, "Oh, it's a frog." I did. Yeah, absolutely. It's almost like she wasn't from that city. Maybe she was new to that city where they have humanoid animals, and she's yeah. like, oh, it's a frog. But she didn't act, like, horrified or anything. It was just no, very matter-of-fact. My favorite characters <laughs> are the three girls that worked in his office. Oh, you think she left him because he was furry? You know? <laughs> right? Right. You oh, know, my God, my favorite, my favorite line in this whole thing still has to be... Uh, when the koala's talking to his psychiatrist and he asks him, am I evil? And the psychiatrist's response word for word is, you're as normal as the next koala. And I'm mm-hmm. like, wait, the six-foot bipedal koala is as normal as the next koala? What? Dude, I know. It's, uh, it's like the scene where it, it kind of gets revealed and everybody in the office just assumes that the koala is the killer because it's in the papers and stuff. And, you know, he was all friendly with everybody. And everyone's all friendly with him and stuff. And then he comes to work that day and everyone's like, oh, oh, I can't work with that. The murder, you know, and like everyone's just uh, it's just it's so funny. Yeah. It's like, OK, that's uh, funny because that's actually I mean, I'm sure it works in Japanese culture as well, but it's definitely kind of a statement on American culture where yeah. it, you, it used to be uh, innocent until proven guilty. Now yeah. it's guilty until proven innocent because of the court of public opinion. So yeah. I love—I actually love that aspect of this, how everybody in the office turned on him, because that's exactly what would happen here. Well, like, it, just, it, it makes me laugh, though, too, because everyone turns on him instantly, like without any type of proof. It's just kind of hearsay and stuff like that. But I'm like, now they're scared of him. Yeah. I'm like. You guys, you're scared of him because he's a potential murderer and nothing is proven at all. But he's a fucking koala bear. 
Uh, You're not uh, a koala bear that talks and sells people shit. That montage with the Koreans made me laugh so hard, man. It's it's kind of like it's not even overdone like American cinema. You know when they do montages and it's like a million different scenes and it's all this happening and all this crazy shit and stuff. They just go straight to eating like some rice crackers and stuff. And I'm like, what the fuck? This is hilarious. I will I will say that I did enjoy Executive Koala's Biolante keychain. Did you notice that, Derek? Yeah, I did. Yeah, <laughs> uh, on his phone, violence. he's got that little Biolante hanging off it. Oh, that was a uh, Godzilla reference. Yeah. <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah, totally, right? That's uh, crazy. Mike, Mike, you've been quiet. What did you think of this movie, man? Man, this is a hard movie to di- dissect on a first watch. I mean, I, I pretty much agree with what everyone's saying here. I had fun with it. Was I confused at various points in the movie? Yes. I, th- I think on a first-time watch, like, I'm trying to figure out is the narrative that he's actually a fucking bipedal koala bear or, and, like, everyone, like, that's just normal? Or is it some dude that's, like, mentally fucked up and people are playing along with it? But then once you get the bunny, bunny ball, and then you get the frog convenience clerk, you're like, okay, I, I guess, as a viewer, I'm just accepting the fact that there's... Uh, humanoid animal things in this town, and um, hey, definitely show some like a murder His mystery. Name is President yeah. Bunny. President Bunny. Hey, um, I love this. But I had, I had, I had fun with it. I had of it. This movie goes different places. Like you know, already the fact that we have animals. Uh, we brought up the the musical court trial, which that just happens out of nowhere. Like, I had, I had totally to rewind that the first time. I, I watched that scene twice because I was in absolute awe of what I just watched. I'm like, I, so I have weird. to experience mm. that again. Yeah, it's weird. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, you have the murder mystery going on, but everything else is like almost semi-normal <laughs> narratively, and but you're still kind of like cracking up at the fact that like there's just a few animals walking around in this town and like everyone just thinks it's like normal to, for a bipedal koala to, you know, as a coworker. Um, but I, I, I agree that the way they um, kind of wrap it up in the third act, it, it gets a little messy. Um, I still got to kick out like that final fight scene though, especially with like the two, I guess villains, like they get their resurrection before they get finally self resurrection. Yeah. Oh, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> Almost video game like somehow. But um and and then after the fight they're just like, okay, we're all making up now and we're all he asked, uh, they go to marry him and she's like, Yes, I'll marry you. It's like, like what? My favorite okay, part of I guess. Was when the cop fucking wakes back up. I'm fine <laughs> <laughs> Another absolutely yeah. wacky part of the movie too is the reason that these two people are doing the things that they do. Yeah. Because their family kills pandas? Really? <laughs> yeah. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah. this whole thing about the background of killing yeah. koalas and that, shit. It's that's like the other oddity of it too. Like koala bears are native to Australia and stuff, and this is like a Japanese fucking. It's so strange. When when the movie started, you know what I thought this was going to end up being like, just having no frame of reference of anything other than the fact. Like at this point, all I knew about the movie was like, hey, there's a 
koala guy walking around and he works in an office. I almost thought this was going to end up being like a Belko experiment type movie where he just goes crazy and we have a killer koala yeah, murdering everyone cover. in the office. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, yeah, that's like what my guess was. And then it just totally went somewhere else. And I, I had a blast with it. It's just I didn't have a time to rewatch it a second time. But I I think at, on a first time watch, it's just like, holy shit, there's so much going on here. So much weirdness, which I've come to expect from like a lot of Asian cinema. Um but I, now that I've seen it once, I, I can only imagine like a second watch be that <clears throat> you much. Know, even you know what? I always have fun with this movie when I watch it because like, you know, after you watch it one time, it's a little bit confusing and stuff. And if you try to think about it too hard, you're like, OK, well, this obviously has to be like, you know, metaphorical or, you know, there's got to be some type of commentary going on here, you know, with these animals and what they stand for and shit like that. But I think the best way to, to watch this movie is just to throw that out the window and just accept it for face value. Yeah. Take yeah. everything literal. Yeah. yeah. Take everything. If you yeah. take it literal, you can have so much fun with this movie because if you try to dive into it too much, which I, I think a lot of people look at this and oh, it's all, it's got all this bullshit and stuff. I, I think you just you're just digging too hard, man. I think you're just wasting time with it and you know wasting what you could be having fun with the film. So and take for it sure. as face value for what it is, and it's just actually it just turns into an odd roller coaster ride. I mean. I'm glad that you brought up the whole the hunting panda things because that's really fun. I didn't want to mention it, but but yeah, it's 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 just really it's shit like that, right? You're like, what the fuck? Like, well, it makes sense because you know the Koreans were the, that's one of the reasons why they weren't really looked upon in Australia, and the, you know, like movies like Did It and Drive and brought that up too. Oh, of course, of course, because of that, you know, yeah. mm-hmm. it's a social commentary for both countries in that sense, and it's kind of weird and. You know, and it's kind of, you know, this director's movies all had, like, these weird moments. Like, the movie The Rug Cop that Moods picked up, it's about a cop that uses his toupee as a weapon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's why it's called that. <laughs> so, you know, you know, he has a weird humor to his movies, and, you know, he does, like, a lot of weird... You can see he loves genre of cinema throughout mm-hmm. his films, and that's why I like him. Like, the Calamari Russ is just a giant dude in a giant squid suit that fights wrestlers. That's all it is. You know? Oh, maybe that keychain is the calamari wrestler. Cause I thought it looked like Biolante, but it does look like a giant walking octopus. It maybe may that's be. A, could be, yeah. that could be a reference to one of his other movies. Yeah. I didn't even think of that. Yeah. I like them all. Yeah. I like them all. You know, you know, probably my least favorite actually is the monster X movie. Cause I think that one is very too long and it has very boring scenes of politicians in a G8 summit talking. Mm-hmm. And but, some of the but, shots in this movie uh, too. I mean, when they first tell when the, when the, when the uh, detective first tells executive koala, uh, that Yoko is dead and they do that soap opera zoom to his face and his eyes and mouth both go really wide. I, 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 I had to laugh. I just, I lost it. I'm like, what the fuck? I know this is a serious attempt at a scene, but I'm laughing my ass off because it was still early in the film too. So you're still kind yeah. of getting used to a bipedal, you know, uh, koala walking around, but I love that shot so much. <laughs> Yeah, like his expression and shit. Yeah, the, the, just the, the expression of shock, but 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 he can't really 
like I said, since he has a, a puppet head on, he can't really express too much emotion, but the little bit that he was able to in that scene I just thought was hilarious. For, yeah, how, however they put that together, I thought that was a well well done for as much as they got out of the like the emoting that the actual koala head did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, more, probably the least emoting is the frog, but he's only in a few scenes, mm-hmm. which is understandable. Mm-hmm. With a, it's just a frog with an open mouth. Yeah. I actually, for what they had with like the koala <laughs> puppet head, it actually emoted pretty good for the most part. Yeah. By the way, did do they ever tell us who the frog is? Like, how did the frog know all the things that he that he knew? Because he was feeding Executive Koala clues, wasn't he, throughout the movie? Yeah. So, like, do they ever tell us who Bodega Frog so. actually is? Okay. Because no. I was expecting some kind of major reveal at the end that no. he's like a big player in this whole thing, but then no, it, they just ignore it. Hell. It's just set in Bizarro World, man. He just <laughs> yeah, up a dagger, so he probably just hears everything. Uh, that's I mean, true that, that, too. That yeah. could be the joke, right? Because people talk, right? Yep. Yeah. In those places, so yeah, it makes <laughs> sense. Oh man, yeah, great movie. I, I recommend it to anyone. I mean, obviously, if you're not into Asian cinema and over the top you know, horror comedies, then yeah, this movie is probably not for you. But I, I, I got a feeling that most people listening to our voices right now would probably enjoy this film, either from, you know, a legitimate standpoint or even in an ironic way. It's a fun-ass movie. It's a great movie to watch with your friends, you know, have a few beers and just laugh it up. But uh, yeah, there's some actual filmmaking prowess in here. Like I said, there's some decent uh, cinematography. The score is pretty good. Actually, the score is really good. I do enjoy the score here. And <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm watching the uh, the reveal of President Bunny right now, and I'm laughing. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's like a Looney Tunes cartoon. His giant ears. And isn't it funny, too, how all, all, the, all the animals... <laughs> movie they're not wearing full costumes it's literally just the head the hands and the feet and then mm-hmm. and then they're all just wearing suit and ties over their normal bodies that i i just love this design it, it, and, and it plays off like they're in costumes too because if you watch the koala when he grabs things like he fumbles with them like yep. he's not yeah. like it's like not, he's the giant it's phone near his fucking right? hair you it's know like, like, like wearing a costume with oversized hands and you can't grab paper properly and shit well hey koalas don't have uh, opposable thumbs so right? <laughs> it's, just, it's so obvious i just love it it's funny uh fun fun and silly if not a little confusing but well worth watching sure oh yeah okay uh, are you guys ready for the next movie hell yeah yeah all right, let's get into this bad Larry. Also from 2005, Shocker. I'm going to do that again. That's like a Moose thing. Oh, I did that again, huh, Moose? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, 2005, and we got Tokyo Zami. A little short synopsis here. A horror comedy about two blue-collared factory workers who happen to be jujitsu experts dealing with ravenous, flesh-eating zombies uprising in Tokyo. Yes! Uh, this film is actually based off a manga, Tokyo Zombie, by uh, Yusaku Hanakuma. I actually never read this manga before. It's one I've been interested in reading, especially after watching this movie a few times. But the director of this movie is very interesting. Uh, this movie is directed and written by Saichi Sato. If you don't know that name, it doesn't sound familiar. He's probably most famously known for writing 
the screenplays for Ichi the Killer and Gozu for Takashi Miike. And ironically, the two both those movies are in this movie. And for fans of Tarantino, you mm-hmm. might recognize him. Charlie Brown. Charlie Brown in Kill Bill, the restaurant <laughs> waiter at the restaurant when before uh, the bride fights the crazy 88s. We want a pizza, Charlie Brown. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. That's who that is. And yeah, it stars, of course, uh, Mike Regulars. Uh, what the fuck's the, the guy? This guy's got a weird name. Tananabu Asano and, uh, you know, directed DVD legend Show Akia in their respected roles of uh, Fuji and Michon. You know, fucking wild movie and again i'm gonna start i'm gonna actually do this opposite this time i'm gonna start with mike mike did you ever see tokyo's army before and what'd you think of it man i've never seen it before but man this is another one where it's like there's weirdness all, all throughout this movie it almost feels like more of like a buddy road trip movie as much as it is like a zombie movie you care about the characters more than like actual any zombie action going the zombie stuff is there and you know at different points of the movie it becomes more prominent but really you're just kind of along for the ride with the two main characters and interested in seeing how things are turning out for them it's another one i think like a second watch will really benefit because going into it you know the name tokyo zombie the way it kind of start well once we get to the point where the zombies actually start coming out of the ground and stuff you're almost expecting, okay, here comes like the zombie movie you would normally expect. And it goes totally just in its own bizarre worldly direction um, throughout the movie. Normally get um, it's, 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 it feels like, you know, it, these two characters don't belong in a zombie apocalypse that they're just kind of like thrown into it by circumstance. <laughs> and it, it's, this movie has a little bit of everything goofiness, you know, uh, I think there's something there to appreciate. Um, and wow, I, man, I, I had a blast with this one too. I, I, I really, I really enjoyed it. Another, another one where there's a lot to take in on a first view. So yeah. it's still kind of being digested by me as well, but I, I was impressed. Uh, um, yeah, man, I've I've seen Tokyo Zombie a bunch of times actually. Um, it's just a, it's a really really fun movie. One one thing I love about this film is that there's a lot of these kind of zombie films slash zoncom films that have been made over the last twenty years. I mean, and the majority of these movies don't have a reason to why you know, there's zombies, right? They just kind of start, they're zombies, you know? It's, most of these films kind of start in the middle of the apocalypse and stuff, and they don't really give you a reason to why the dead are rising and what's going on and stuff. I think it's actually quite clever in this film that they totally give you a reason. Uh, I mean, they, they don't really say what it is, but <clears throat> you get the impression what it is, though, because um, there's this mountain called Black Fuji, <laughs> which is obviously a play on Fuji Mountain and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like it's kind of a little bit radioactive. It's, it's like a toxic dump in a sense. Right. And it, it's a place where people just bury dead people. Right? So obviously these people have been with a 
the from the mountain and stuff and they they rise up and that's what creates the zombie apocalypse i think that's actually quite clever because it doesn't have to be something extreme but at least it gives you an idea of where these things are coming from i think that's a really good start to the film um our two our two main characters are basically dumb shits they're just dumb they're morons and but, but the thing i like about these characters is that they're really really likable dumb shits right um mitsuo he's i, I think he's kind of like the he's like the trainer of fushuo i don't know i'm so fucking bad with asian names but but anyways these guys are like practicing their jujitsu and, and and shit like that and, and it's just so it's awkward when you watch them too because they're doing it like all by themselves at like at any time you know, they're in a warehouse or just practicing their jiu-jitsu and doing all this kind of weird-ass, strange shit. And stuff. It's just bizarre. You can tell they're really good friends, but it becomes almost, like, awkward at times, but it's funny. It's really, really funny. Um, and, like, what Mike alluded to when it comes to kind of, like, a road trip and stuff, they decide that, you know, once all these zombies are kind of rising up and stuff, like, well, let's go on a road trip. So they hop in the Scooby van. It's totally the mystery machine van. Come on. Is that <laughs> not the fucking mystery machine van? See, that or the life and death of the porno gang van. It's I every time I watch this film, it makes me laugh because I'm a huge Scooby-Doo fan. And every time I see that van, it's not exactly like the mystery machine, but it, it's it's the mystery machine van. So, right. It's like this. Is, it's like a Scooby-Doo film to me, man, in a sense. Um, so they hop in this thing and they go north because they hear that there's no zombies up there and stuff. And and then, you know, this movie is kind of plays itself out kind of like a survival zombie film until about you know, the 50, 60 minute mark in the film. And then it changes gears big time. It almost becomes two films. Like, it's you know, like a Mad Max movie in the second half where it's like Thunderdome. It, it is. It's strange, man. So we have this moment where one of the characters actually, which is the funniest scene in the entire film for myself. This is a scene where when I first watched this, I actually rewound it about 30 fucking times because not only the sound effect mixed in with what happens is the funniest shit ever. One of our characters jumps out of the mystery van. I'm just going to keep calling the mystery van because I believe it's the Scooby-Doo mystery van. And they're driving on this highway during this, you know, this zombie apocalypse and stuff. And one of the characters jumps out of it and it just makes that kind of Looney Tune sound like that whistle sound like Mew, and he falls right into the, <laughs> the shit I've ever seen. And then like repeatedly all these zombies and shit keep falling over this bridge. It's like so fucking stupid. But essentially this whole hilarity scene happens and then it jumps five years into the future and then it just totally switches gears it, sh- it shifts tones it shifts narrative it shifts everything that's going on man it turns into like a pit fighting zombie film and it's just really really bizarre and stuff but i, I always felt like it's kind of like two different films and me personally i've always been a bigger fan of the first half of the film i think it has this lighter tone yeah. it has this aspect that you really get on board with these characters you're rooting from them from the start you know because it's got this underlying that one of the characters may have been raped by <laughs> which played the whole movie by one of his uh, elementary school teachers and shit he sees them at the dump while they're dumping off their boss's dead bodies I forgot to mention why they were actually at the dump they accidentally killed the, uh, one of their bosses and they had to go bury the body and stuff but anyways one of the characters sees a teacher burying a kid that he obviously just molested and killed and he beats him to death with a with a shovel so it's you know comedy levels it's weird <laughs> Right. You look oh, like you're a dude that was touched by a guy. Of, it's not kind of funny, and it's actually a really awkward scene because he notices this teacher that he had once, and he sees that he's got a, a dead young boy, and and it's so gross, man. The guy's like kind of coughing his butt and sniffing his ass. It's really, it's really awkward to there's see. A, there's a few weird, fucking perverted old dudes. Like there's that one old dude later with that lifts out the dead girl's skirt <laughs> before he yeah, sees exactly. him. Exactly, but. 
but you know that scene kind of plays into a joke that happens throughout the whole film and um you know one of the characters keeps bugging him he's like you know you got he's like you got ass raped by your by your teacher didn't you and shit and it's like hilarious you and look I look like a dude that got raped by his teacher <laughs> i don't know what you guys watch but i've never watched this movie with the english dub before until this time i wanted to watch the english dub because i find with some of these asian films and i you know going back i never watch films usually without you know that are not in their native language but with zomcoms because i don't know if you guys ever seen bio zombie with the with the english dub before that shit is pure hilarity it it makes the movie hilarious it's so funny the english dub is the funniest shit ever and it's like godzilla films too i like the english dubs and a lot of those too it just makes the film funner because they're supposed to be fun but i've watched this movie two or three times in the past in the native language japanese language and I just wanted to do the English dub, and the English dub is actually really funny in this too. Um, but I don't know if they say ass rape and, and ass molested and stuff in the. In, I can't remember, but he just constantly says it throughout the film, and it plays out right to the end, and it's really funny. But um, but yeah, no, I, I personally like the first half of this movie a lot better than the second half. Actually, the second half, you know, watching it multiple times starts to get on my nerves a little bit because of what happens with one of the characters ends up marrying this girl and she turns out to be a total cunt in Venom's <laughs> his words. Um, this bitch is a fucking she's a bitch, man. Like she's constantly just calling him down the whole time. And he has a kid and at this point in the film and stuff, but it gets a little bit irritating with her just calling him down constantly and stuff. But it just, like I said, it changes tones completely. It's, it feels like two different films. Um, you know, it is what it is. It, it, it plays out the way it is. It's okay and stuff, but I prefer the first half of the film, but you know, there's a lot of good comedy moments in this and stuff. And I, I really do like these characters, man. I mean, our, our Mitsuo, I think that's who it is. He, he has the greatest bald prosthetic on his head ever. Uh, it's so weird seeing him with a bald because I've been watching him in like all the old school Takashi Miike movies growing up. Like he's yeah. in like Yakuza Demon and Yakuza, yeah. of course. You know, yeah. it's so weird seeing him in this type of role. And they totally like elongated his head too. It just looks so ridiculously silly and stuff. And you know, there's a there's a pretty funny moment in the film where, you know, he's saving this girl that one of the characters ends up marrying later on in the film. And and um, but if you watch the credits and stuff, it kind of explains it away, like what happens with the <laughs> with these false teeth and shit. It's really funny. It's um, funny. I died laughing because I forgot about like that credit sequence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So but it's just it's a goofy film. You know, you think it would be you know, kind of batshit insane and off the wall, maybe a little bit hard to explain, you know, or to understand like a lot of these Japanese films and stuff, but this one's pretty straightforward. Um, it's honestly not as goofy as you think it would be from getting introduced to these characters in the beginning of the film and, you know, realizing that they're, they're not like full on retards or anything. They're just, they're just odd. They're just odd people and stuff. And they're just kind of doing their things and stuff. And, but it's a fun ride. It really is. I just, I, I, always kind of wish that the the second half of this film was more of on the same tone as the first half of the film. It's always just kind of what brings it down for me a little bit, especially with the whole name calling and shit at the end. It just gets a little bit much for myself, but yeah, still a fun film. Venom. This was not a first time watch for me. I saw this right in 2005, as soon as uh, it got to the States, maybe 2006, but yeah, I, 
I can't say enough of good things about this movie. I adore this film. I fucking adore this film. I, I love everything about it. I love the explanation of Black Fuji. I love how the movie, within the first ten fucking minutes of the movie, perfectly sets the tone for what we're going to get the rest of the way. Uh, there's a scene at the, um, you know, at Black Fuji where there's a couple burying uh, the male's mother head uh, up to her head and then the fucking uh the female character who's an absolute bitch you know domineering mm -hmm. she fucking kicks the mom's head off and it goes like 60 yards i mean she an nfl field goal record with this kick no that goes and, like 600 yards i swear I know, it's the city. ridiculous <laughs> but it perfectly sets up the tone for this film i mean i just you know, I, I, without having to read a description or any kind of synopsis, within seven minutes of the start of this film, I already know what I'm looking at. And then the very next scene after that is the scene with um, Fuji and his uh, his old phys ed teacher, I think it was, and the attack on him. And I, I just absolutely love how, like I said, how matter of fact this film is, how... Mm -hmm. Fuji Fuji doesn't even think twice when he kills their boss because he thinks that their boss is about to hurt his buddy and he mm -hmm. doesn't even think twice about killing the man. And I just love that about it. And it's the same thing with the attack on the phys ed teacher. He doesn't even think. He just sees him and just whoop, r grabs a shovel and goes right at him. And I think that's so fucking great. But the, I, I, some of the things that I love about this movie, I absolutely love the relationship between Mishan and Fuji. I think that it's so organic, so natural, it feels right. Even though this is a comedy, I, the chemistry between these two, I would, if you were to tell me that uh, Mishan actually is his jujitsu master for the last however many years, I would believe it based on their relationship. Um, I don't think that Mishan is as slow, quote-unquote, as Fuji. I think that he's just not very street smart because um, that's usually how combat fighters are. They spend so much time in the gym that their social skills don't develop the way that they do for the rest of us who are out drinking and partying with our friends. So, And I actually know one friend, a friend, a 20-plus-year friend that I've had who is a jiu-jitsu black belt, and it's kind of the same thing. Like, he can take down a guy three times his size, but he can't talk to a pretty girl. So it just it's a weird dichotomy between the guy that he's one of the most badass guys I know, but he has no social skills whatsoever. And that's how I look at Mishan's character. He just spent so much time in the gym learning jujitsu, learning the craft, that he, you know, just didn't develop any other social skills. Uh there's a scene in this movie, um I'd say somewhere in the second act where Mishan makes a kind of proclamation about what's wrong with him physically. As it turns out, he is dealing with some kind of physical condition. And I don't know if you guys noticed, but that entire scene is about an eight-minute scene, and it's a single shot. And the single shot is zooming in incredibly slowly throughout the entire scene mm -hmm. to the point where you almost don't notice the camera zooming in. But Mishan is standing up on the stage, 
pouring his heart out to his, you know, his compadre about, you know, what's wrong with him, the fact that he's not going to live forever, blah, 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 the plans that he had. It's, in my opinion, it is my favorite scene in the movie. It's so emotional. It's so, it's comical at times. It's emotional. It's heartwarming. I, I just, and just like I said, the cinematography, the fact that it's done in one shot, no cuts, and like I said, it's like a it's a good six to eight minute long scene. It, it's such a stellar scene to me that I, I can watch that scene alone on a loop for a long time. Another great thing about this movie is that it's a horror comedy. But again, in my opinion, the scenes where there's no zombies are some of the best scenes in the film. That mm-hmm. scene that I was just talking about, the opening scene uh, where they kill their boss... I mean, the scenes where it's just our two main characters, like I said, they have a certain kind of chemistry that works so well for both a horror film and a comedy that it's just absolutely stellar. Great performances, some crisp, whip-smart writing, um, obviously not from Fuji and not from his wife, but you know, earlier on in the film with Mishan and some of the other people in the film. You know, I mean, literally, the first words the kid says is uh, an insult to her dad. Yeah. <laughs> like, what the fuck? This film never fucking ends, man. Bill's look happy at the kid, too. Like, she talked. Like, oh. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I like when he says, I like when he says, he's like, do you like me? He's like, actually, I like her a lot more than you. You <laughs> 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 wouldn't, though, man. You're a fucking so bitch. Such a bitch. And then um, the movie takes a time jump. We have a five-year time jump after the death of a major character. I'll leave that spoiler-free for those who haven't seen it. But um, after the time jump, the movie takes a major left turn where we're, we're more solidly in the zombie apocalypse now. Obviously, we're five years into it, and a group of people have uh, created a fighting pit where uh, prisoners – it's almost very gladiator-like, where prisoners are fighting against zombies to earn their freedom, blah, blah, blah. And, of course, our boy Fuji is like a longtime champion. He's undefeated. But it's funny because uh, Mike and I could probably speak to this one. Mike and I are big big MMA fans. And it's kind of funny how in the movie they call the jujitsu guy boring. They say that he's boring and that the women don't like watching his fights, even though he's undefeated and he's killed every zombie that he's fought. It, he does it with jujitsu. Now, Mike and I have dealt with those kind of uh, accusations in MMA for years when you get like a Hoist Gracie or a Jake Shields or, or even the current lightweight champion, uh, Habib Nurmagomedov. Um, a lot of people will say they're boring fighters. They take down their opponent and they just sit there. But let me tell you something. Anybody who saw the pay-per-view this past Saturday and still thinks Habib is a boring fighter, uh, I have a punch for your throat ready for you anytime you want to meet. Because it yeah. just it doesn't fucking make sense. Um, but anyway, I do understand where the mentality comes from because people want to see punches. They want to see knockouts. They want to see hard, you know, they want to see blood and guts and blah, blah, blah. And the women in the fighting pit, you know, they, they watch our boy beat zombies with jujitsu and just break their necks. It's boring for them. And the fights are done in like 10 seconds. So it's kind of funny how that kind of real world, um, element was brought into it with with the women uh, kind of acting as traditional MMA fans and saying that they're boring, <laughs> that jujitsu is boring. So again, I love that. And then the final reveal of who our boy has to fight to earn his freedom. Um, again, heart-wrenching, um, incredibly well done, very emotional. Um, and, and 
effects during that final fight fucking awesome uh you know just, uh, the, the sped up kind of punches and you know the ridiculous cartoonish violence it, it's just such a great scene to watch and then you know uh derek and and moods have kind of alluded to the very final scene where we get a reveal about what happens earlier in the film where we get a certain impression of something that happens but then we get a reveal um b- based around false teeth that just kind of changes the narrative a little bit yeah. but it's such a but the fact that the one character still thinks that he's about that he's about to die just adds so much to it um, and especially the comical final scene where they kind of do the Roadrunner thing <laughs> where he's somehow running faster than a motorcycle. But again, whatever. I'll allow it. <laughs> I mean, that wasn't even like a paranoia thing. I mean, really, if you're going to have that happen to you, I mean, you're probably going to think that you're going to die and shit like that. But, Absolutely. Yeah. But, it's, it's, it's but, but he was super paranoid as it was. I mean, yeah. <laughs> he, he thought he'd meet his doctor tell him he was dying of cancer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. He forced like, it out of his He had such a bad stomachache, and he's like, "Doctor, you have to tell me it's cancer." And he like literally physically handles them and makes them tell me he's dying of cancer. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, it's so, so It's funny. Yeah, yeah. And like I said, then we get the kind of Jack the Bear moment where the daughter speaks her first words, and they're fucking perfect. You know, she. I obviously they're very inflammatory, but because of uh, the way her mother is and everything that her mother says, it just makes perfect sense that those are her first words, and it's it's fucking comedy gold. Absolutely love it. Um, I mean, like I said, I could keep talking about this movie. This movie is near flawless to me. I know. Uh, you know, I know the over-the-top qualities of it are going to take a lot of people out of it. They're not going to look at something like this and take it as seriously as, like, an American zombie film or even one of our horror comedies, like a Shaun of the Dead or something like that. But for this... for me, this movie works on every level. I love the comedy. I love the little bits of horror that are in there. Because this movie is... It's called Tokyo Zombie, but it's not really a traditional zombie film. I think we've all kind of made that point. Yeah. That it's not you know, it's not The Walking Dead. It's not Dawn of the Dead. It's, it's almost def- like a battery. You know, like a lot of people... Yes. Have, have you ever seen The Battery before? Because Absolutely. that movie... A lot of people are like, oh, you know, I don't really like that zombie film. I'm like, man, dude, that movie is not really a zombie film. It's about... It's about two friends trying to, or, you know, two people that are trying to be compatible with each other. It's about their relationship. Exactly. Yeah. That's a lot of what we get here. Right. So. And that's and exactly, that's kind of what this is. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And like I said, I'll stand by my, my, uh, my statement that my favorite scenes in the movie don't include zombies and it's just our two main yeah, characters yeah. <clears throat> together talking. Absolutely. I, I love think that's it. what my whole criticism of, I mean, I wouldn't say it's, it's very, very minor. I really enjoy this film too, but I just, like their their bond between these two main characters is so strong and then once we have that tone shift you know once it jumps five years later into like you know the whole zombie pit fighting thing and stuff i think it loses a little bit because we got it it, it kind of revolves around you know him and his wife yeah and the girl and stuff and it, it changes the tone quite drastically because you want to see more of these two together and in doing what they're doing i mean if it had to played out like a straight up survival type film like kind of like a battery you know where these two guys as goofy as they are you know trying to survive in this in this unknown reality 
you know, I think it would have been an interesting thing to do too, but you know, the way they took it, it makes sense. I mean, it's, it's odd and it's kind of offbeat and stuff. It makes complete sense, but I do prefer the first half of the film, but I understand where you're coming from. I mean, there's some definitely some interesting emotional parts in that, but I mean, I could definitely do without the bitch. I mean, it's funny for five minutes and then, and she's literally calls him a dumbass. I mean, I lost count after like 25 times. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> it's so many times, dude. She's like, you're a dumb shit. You're a bat. You're a dumb. Ass. It's like, holy fuck, dude. Like, we get it. You know, you don't like them. Yeah. So, if you have a problem with the word retarded, do not watch this movie. Right. <laughs> it's repeated at least 50 times. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. And never warranted either. I mean, you know, she calls the guy retarded and it's like. I actually have that I, noted too. I'm like, this movie couldn't have this type of dialogue today because nope. the PC world we live in, it would never be accepting of the the choice words in this film. <laughs> Absolutely. No, completely right. Yeah. yeah. And I do like how they, I mean, they don't necessarily set up a sequel, but they do leave it open, obviously, because we get the reveal of what happened to Michonne. Mm. Uh, I, I think it's perfectly set up for a sequel. I don't necessarily need one, mind you. I'm not the kind of person who clamors for sequels. They hit a home run with this movie. Le- they could leave it alone, and I'd be just happy. But if Tokyo Zombie 2 were to be released, I would be very excited to see that. Um, mm-hmm. This movie mm-hmm. is almost perfect for me. If I had to complain about anything at all, it would be the lack of gore. I, I would probably just say, since it is a horror comedy, give us a little bit more of that over-the-top scene, yeah. you know? But th- that would literally be my only complaint, and it's yeah, not make even... make a little bit more splattery, yeah. Exactly. And, and, and the fact that, like... It's not really, it's just kind of a joke complaint, but uh, the fact that they want to go to Russia so bad, who the fuck wants to go to Russia? Jujitsu fighters. But, um, but nobody actually, wants to end up in Russia, man. That's that's not a fun. No, granted, but uh, fighters, <laughs> I mean, um, combat sambo is considered one of the best um, combat um, disciplines out there. Uh, it, it's up there with Krav Maga, Jiu-Jitsu, stuff like that. So people from China and Japan, it's actually very common for them to go to Russia, learn combat sambo, and then bring that skill set back to their home country so that they're a more complete fighter. So that actually is a real world ambition that fighters have to go to Russia. Believe it or yeah. not. It makes sense. <laughs> yeah. It's good shit. Man, Mike is being so quiet, all this MMA talk, and he hasn't even chimed in. <laughs> I didn't wanna I didn't want to interrupt with your brilliant. You never know when <laughs> you never know when the moods and the man are talking. Yeah, I, I used to be a really, really massive MMA fan. And I mean, it's not like I'm not anymore. I just don't get the fight. I mean, you know, from about this time, I think this was kind of like the full resurgence of MMA and stuff. And, you know, when it got really popular was around this time again. I mean, I've watched it from the beginning, from the Gracie fights and stuff, the early MMA and stuff. But this was like the resurgence of it and stuff. And and, Um, I I loved two in those days because, you know, the you know, the pay-per-views were once every two months and they got once, you know, once a month. And then it got twice. It just got ridiculous. It got to the point where I was like, I was spending so much money on pay-per-views. This is fucking crazy. But. I miss those days of getting the pay-per-views, you know, once or two months. It was a big fucking party. You know, we had everybody over, everyone bring food, drinks, and it was just, we had a huge party for it. And then they started getting less and less because they got monthly and then they got bi-weekly. <laughs> it was crazy. Yeah. But, um, 
you know, I always, I, I, I mean, if MMA is on TV, if if it's on and I can catch a replay, whatever, I'll watch that shit to death. But the thing is with MMA now for myself is that since, um, you know, the UFC has basically got every fighter in the world in there now from all the other leagues, it's, mm-hmm. there's so many fucking fighters, so many weight class, so many belts and shit. I can't keep track of it anymore, dude. Like I, I'm, I'm pretty up on sports, you know, when it comes to hockey, baseball, football and shit mm-hmm. like that. And, but with MMA, dude. I can't keep track. There's like a million fucking belts and, and shit. it's just so much going on. And I'm like, what the hell, dude? I'm like, understandable. I mean, a few year, literally 10 years ago, there was like six weight classes and now there's like 12. So yeah, it, it definitely does make sense. I, I just remember years ago when Dana White saying, you know, like, will you ever have women in the, no, no, fuck that. You know, we all know that shit. And then now the women part of the MMA is massive. Like there's yeah. different weight classes. Like there's so many women fighters and the women fights to me are really exciting. Like I love watching them, man. They're great. Yeah. Absolutely. And you know, I still do watch MMA, you know, I just don't watch it as frequently as I once did and get excited yeah. for it as much as I used to, the but fact I still guy. will dabble into it. Cause I mean, fuck it's MMA. I mean, look what, what was it like the last card with that insane fucking knockout that dude did? Like that was, Oh, like, the spinning back kick. The yeah. spinning back kick. No, I, I, I was like, dude, holy fuck. That that was like the one where the guy jumped on the, uh, on the fence and did the roundhouse kick and knocked the dude out. I was like, fuck, there's just shit you don't see very often. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And to kind of chime in on Mood's point about the the popularity of MMA in 2005, uh, for those who don't know, uh, in 2005, the number one MMA promotion was a Japanese promotion called Pride. This was back during the kind of... Uh, they call them kind of the dark ages of the UFC because the UFC had kind of mm-hmm. fallen out of popularity. Plus, mm-hmm. it was getting banned in multiple states. At one point, MMA was only legal in two states in the country. Now it's legal in 49, so blah, blah, blah. But anyway, the point about 2005... Where is it still illegal? Huh? Where is it still illegal? Um. Oh, shit, I forgot what state. It's a red state somewhere up north. I can't remember which one, but yeah, there's one state... I, I I didn't think that's I didn't know that. I thought it yeah. was just one state that doesn't regulate it. I'll have to, I'll have to find out. I'll let you guys know later. Huh. But going back to 2005, though, 2005 is the, is right when Pride started to lose popularity. And within a year, uh, the UFC, Dana White and the uh, the Fertitta brothers and the UFC pretty much bought out all of Pride's um, contracts and uh, video um, collection licensing, all that stuff. And right around that time is also when all the really popular MMA fighters from Japan were starting to show up in the UFC. Guys like Rampage Jackson, uh, Vanderlei Silva, Dan Henderson. These were all uh, perennial champions in pride. They started coming to UFC. That's when the UFC really boomed. And by 2008 or nine, the UFC was like the billion-dollar company that we know today. And it all had to do because of pride, you know, having mob ties, Yakuza ties, and them ending up going out of business. And there was a lot of controversy. So this movie coming out in 2005 is absolutely perfect because it's literally right before the big MMA boom in America. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Good point. Good shit, man. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I enjoy this movie for all the reasons you guys. I personally don't mind the chick character because... You know, since this is based off a of manga, it's kind of like that over-the-top manga style with her performance and the way. But I can see why it would nag some people. Sure. I just take it like this is a live-action manga film. I just would have left her in the goddamn mystery machine, man. Yeah, you did. But you know, <laughs> I get that. But you know, like with zombie apocalypses in general, I can see relationships like that actually happening. 
especially if people did mm. survive them. You know, yeah. two people that don't even really know each other fucking have a kid. They're like, ah, oh, fuck it, let's fuck one night. Ah, oh, we're gonna have a kid. Fucking, <laughs> I married. I fucked. I have a kid with a retard. You know. Yeah. <laughs> that's her. That's her reaction. You know? These two buddies thrown into the zombie apocalypse, where they just want to, you know, practice their. Brazilian jiu-jitsu made me think about Big Lebowski where they just want to go bowling and then they're thrown into like this murder mystery or this kidnapping right, right. mystery. It, it, that's what it made me think of when, you know, all throughout the movie they really just want to practice their jiu-jitsu <laughs> <Going back laughs> and, and be left alone. Where they're in the store and Buddy goes in there to grab the food and shit. I love the, I love the cinematography because it totally focuses but not solely focuses on all the awesome sushi and all the great fucking fresh food that's in the uh, in the fridge. And he loads up on like shrimp chips. Yeah. <laughs> shrimp chips. And the guy even gives him shit for it. He's like, what the fuck is this? Why did you get uh, the real food? I love that. It's hilarious. It's the fucking, and the fucking dude that stole the van, like he's just shooting piss and shit at all these rich women. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love I love how when they buried their boss they forgot to bury his toupee so they just stapled it to the cross that they yeah. put on top of him yeah then, la- then later when he's a zombie he's like, like has the toupee on Ugh. yeah yeah he, he grabbed it before he left his grave <laughs> so you know good. this is probably one of the only movies that can like rehash a fucking pedophile joke over and over again through a movie and, and still be funny every single time it does it Yep. It's so yeah. it's hilarious, man. It's so funny. You look like a guy who's been touched by a teacher. Right? You just keep doing it, and it's always funny. Like, and wait then, until then the end, you know? he punches his face and makes it into a giant meatball. <laughs> oh, God. It's so fucking funny. <laughs> oh, so good. <laughs> Such a great... I'm glad you guys like these. Oh, so, gosh. Tokyo Zombie, like I said, I've it's been a great. fan since the first watch. Yeah. I just love it more and more every time I see it. I mean, mm. I, 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 I can't stress how much I love this movie. I mean, as an MMA fan, as a zombie fan, as a comedy fan, every aspect of this movie works for me. So, yeah. yeah. If I had to rate it, it's a fucking 10 out of 10. I love it. If you ever got me rewinding certain parts like 30 times and laugh until I have tears in my eyes, it's, you know, it's just funny as hell. Like, that bridge scene just kills me, dude, when he jumps off. And it, it like, it's just pure swan dive, man. And since so, so you mentioned so that. It's like the greatest dummy death, but it's totally like this really shitty CG that just totally works for it. <laughs> the sound effect is so Looney Tunes. It's so funny, man. I love it. It's great. Uh, this is Zach's favorite Zomcom too. Moods. Yeah, I'm surprised he likes this movie as much as he does. Like honestly, it just it does shock me. But <laughs> yeah, so he'll be happy to hear that Venom likes it as much as he does. Oh yeah. Love in fact, movie. I've seen his top ten of 2005, and I think he had three Asian films in there. I was like, damn. I mean, there's yeah, a lot you, to you offer. Hates a lot. Japanese, Chinese, Hong Kong. There's tons of South Korean films. There's tons and tons. Of Asian related films from 2005. Mm-hmm. So many good ones. Yeah. yeah for sure. <laughs> you never know. Might be another show in the future, but <laughs> I'll, 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 I'll give you guys a break from the Asian shit for a while. That's what I do every time I come on here, apparently. <laughs> yeah. It was planned all along. Yeah, you never know. We might have some other things in store with you, Moods. Thank you again, man. It was an honor to have you on. You know, now. I got to invite you on one of the shows. <laughs> yeah, was, this was fun. When, when you said you wanted to do uh, Executive Qual and Tokyo Zombie, I was like, yeah, I'm on board. I hadn't watched Executive Qual in a long time, so 
I was like, yep, time for a rewatch. But uh, yeah, super fun, man. Super fun. Good stuff. shit, man. Yeah. All right, Mike, what do you say we wrap a bow around this one? Yep. Um, that's going to end episode number 25. But before we get out of here, let's find out what everyone's up to. Uh, me and Venom, we got, uh, what do we got? We got Fresh Cuts coming up tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is it, Mortuary Collection that we're doing? Sure. That is on Shutter, so we'll be checking that out and, and talking about that. I think we have a guest lined up, but, you know, I'll save that for tomorrow. And uh, the three of us, me, Venom, and Derek, we actually recorded our Halloween special ahead of time. So that will be dropping shortly after this episode, sometime this week, most definitely, because we're under a week from Halloween. So I want to make sure that's out in time. Um, And as far as I go, that's all I personally have. But Venom, do you have anything else you need to let people know about? Um, Unfortunately, you know, as I've discussed before, a lot of my shows are on extended hiatuses right now for one reason or another, mental health, other projects, blah, blah, blah. So uh, unfortunately, No More Room in Hell is pretty much uh, garnering the uh, bulk of my attention right now. I am still uh, working with Neil Lemoy and others on It's Not Horror, Okay, which is just our movie commentary podcast where, as the title implies, we look at non-horror films. On our last episode, we looked at 1981's Nighthawks, starring Sylvester Stallone, Billy Wolf D. Wolfgar! And Wolfgar! <laughs> Great You're movie. fucking dead. Uh, and then on the next episode, which records this week, we'll be taking a look at Kill. Uh, no, we already did Kill or Be Killed, so Kill and Kill Again is the sequel. So we're going to be looking at that uh, martial arts uh, classic from 1982. Um, and let's see, I think that's it. I have uh, I got a guest spot lined up on Moods Show, 22 Shots of Moods and Horror, which I'm sure he'll uh, talk about here in a sec. Um, I have a planned spot on the two drink minimum, uh, movie commentary podcast, hopefully coming up soon with Mr. Gary Hill. And unfortunately that's it. The man who used to have double digit podcasts is down to like two or three because everybody keeps retiring or deciding they want to be a filmmaker or whatever else the case may be. So yeah, Mm. uh, I find myself with so much free time during this pandemic. So yeah. I'm ready to podcast. I'm ready to do whatever, you know, is uh, whatever can be done out there that'll keep me in the house and safe. So, uh, yeah, um, that that's probably about it from me, Mike. Like I said, in the Mike of Madness on hiatus while Rebecca is taking care of her indie film projects. Um, uh, Underwater Kaiju from Outer Space with Derek and myself is on a hiatus uh you know, while Jerry Herring is in the process of moving right now, he's moving back to Georgia. So uh, we're going to take a little hiatus from that, blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, hopefully I'll have more stuff to talk about in the coming months. And, uh, you know, who knows? Maybe I'll just start my own show with somebody just to have something to do. Because, man, I, I find myself with so much free time and all I want to do is talk horror movies and I'm losing all my shows. So, yeah, I know that feeling. I hear you, brother. What the hell? All I want to do is podcast, and it seems like since the pandemic started, I've done nothing but lose shows. So, yeah, hopefully yeah. that'll turn around soon. Yeah, I know that feeling. Uh, yeah, I'll go next. Pretty much what I have coming up is the Halloween episode of Cinematech, where we take a look at fucking 
Bloodfest, Haunt, and fucking Trek. Uh, spoiler alert, fucking Haunt fucking sucks. Fuck that movie. <laughs> <laughs> fucking hated it with a passion. So just go listen to my rant about it. You know, I, I didn't give it really a bad score. I just didn't really. Like, that movie was way fucking overblown. And fuck Ronan for wanting a fucking $50 Blu-ray for that piece of shit. <laughs> fucking... They're charging 50 bucks for that? What? Yeah. Well, like, I think there's two versions. So, yeah. Is but, there a good version? <laughs> yeah, with a different movie on it? With like a five-minute movie? <laughs> hey, didn't we do that on Fresh Cuts with Moods? <laughs> we did, I did. We yeah. did Candy Corn. It was yeah, the haunt slash candy, candy corn, corn episode. episode. <laughs> yeah. We always joke about we should have just reviewed candy corn instead. <laughs> yeah, that was a fun time. It was funny to talk about Trick again because me and Moods reviewed that. And, you know, I brought that perspective about what that movie was to them. And they kind of agreed when they were hearing my theory on it. Nice. So mm. it was a good conversation, at least. But that should be out. And, of course... Uh, no more room in hell, and they're here, still going strong. Being late to actually planning our next episode of that show. Now we're gonna have a special guest for that. So, yeah, that should be interesting and fun. And I'm just gonna plug a few guest spots I did it because I've been whoring myself the fuck out. Uh, you know, like I always do, trying to get the good names of our shows out there. Uh, I'm actually doing an ongoing series with Duncan McLeish on the podcast under the stairs. We do it like every other week. And, uh, you know, pretty much we're going through the American Horror Project box sets from Arrow Video. And we have two episodes in the can. The first one's out already where we did Melatesta's Carnival of Blood. And the next one we're going to be covering the Premonition. And they're both great conversations. I get to do a lot of Richard Lynch impersonations during the premonition review. It's fucking great. <laughs> uh, you know, and also I actually guest starred on one of the Halloween episodes for a fistful of action where we got to talk with Jeff Lawn and uh, his buddy taco. We talked about the Korean fucking possession, fucking martial arts movie, uh, fucking the divine fury. That was a good fun time with that conversation. Good shit there. And then, finally, I have one coming up with Mr. Gary Hill, also for Bite Size Cinema, where we're going to be talking about one of the greatest fucking Marvel movies of all time, fucking Captain America, The Winter Soldier. Fuck yeah. Best Marvel movie, you mean. Hell yeah, fucking spy classic. (laughs) So that should be coming on. That's all I got coming up. And Plus, I have a, like I said earlier in the show, I have a new show in the process of being made, which, you know, should be fun. Should be a fun experience. But I'll keep that under wraps for now. Plus, I have another guest spot that hasn't dropped yet, so I won't mention that until it drops. Until the guest drops. All right. Moods. Everyone knows 22 shots of moods and horror, but what do you uh, got out recently and what do you got coming up? Uh, what we've dropped recently, we've been we've been pretty busy. Actually, we had this week off. And as of right now, while we're, while we were recording, we were supposed to be doing uh, paranormal activity this Friday, but it just got pushed. 
<laughs> with uh, with the beautiful Lacey Lou. So yeah, it's a lot of watching to do to prepare for that one. So I'm not surprised you. Yeah, no, that one's just extra <laughs> just unforeseen uh, circumstances with a couple of the hosts and stuff. It's just it's not really going to work out this Friday. Um, but anyways, I'll get into that later. But uh, what we just dropped, we just dropped episode 194, Listener's Choice, Volume 11, Halloween Special, Demonic Toys, WNUF, Halloween, and The Barn. Ooh. Yes, that was a fun one. That show was just, uh, that was me, JP, and, and Dave. Jeremy was not on that one. We recently did the Carrie franchise, of course. That Dude, one is Gary Stephen King. And somebody finally <laughs> decided to pay for it, so we ended up doing Carrie. Um, it, it was actually a pretty good show. I think we did a pretty good job with that one. Um, last couple of episodes, that was episode 193. 192 was the Wizard of Gore OG verse <laughs> uh, remake, which was, oh, man, dude, seriously. You know, I, I'm a fan of Hershey Gordon Lewis, but I tell you, that's like one of my least favorite movies. But um, anyways, uh, shows coming forward. Like I said, this Friday, we were supposed to be recording Paranormal Activity franchise. It's been postponed till December 4th. But we have our annual Italian Horror Month coming up here, which is November every single year. This is, I think, the sixth or seventh year we've been doing this. Um, week one, we are going to be having, um, of course, it's JP's pick, and it's the final of Argento's. I think this is Argento's. Thank God. <laughs> Featuring Dave Z. And um, yeah, so that's going to be an interesting show. So stay tuned for that because it's the last of the Argento movies. And if you know anything about Argento, those are mm. not the strongest ones. Um, then uh, the following week, we have uh, um, my pick, which was uh, Luigi Cozy. And it's supposed to be featuring Jerry, um, but I'm not 100% sure if he's going to be doing the show or not. We're not 100% sure. Not this Jerry on the show. Um, yeah, so we're not really too sure what's going on with that one. And then the following week, November 20th, we've got uh, the Alberto Martino show with, of course, Venom's going to be on that show, which I'm really excited for that. And then following, or the, the final week of Italian Horror Month is um, a Reguero Diodato one Featuring a guy that's never been on the show before. He's actually an indie filmmaker. He posts in our Facebook group. 101 Productions, right? Yeah, 101 Productions does uh, YouTube videos and stuff. He's an actor, writer, everything and stuff. And I think he was in the Friday the 13th fan film Vengeance. Oh, I think nice. so. Yeah, and uh, yeah. so me and him, we, we've honestly clashed a shit ton on the Facebook. We always oppose opinions and stuff. So this Especially with be, the full sheet. I, yeah, I with the full sheet and stuff. So, and he's like, yo, I want to come on the show. I'm like, yep, you can come on, man. Um. So yeah, the the films for that are House of the Dead, The Park, uh, Jungle Holocaust, and Body Count. So I mean, it should be a lot of controversy. This there. is weird. This is weird. I'm just gonna say this. This is gonna be like the first Italian horror month in a while where there wasn't a Derek Bourgeois performance. And I well, think the you never know. I mean, week two, we're not sure what's going on with with Jerry. I mean, as you know, Venom alluded to or said, you know, he's moving right now, and you know, he's got things going on in his life and stuff. So we're not 100 percent sure, right? So so. So I'm not going to say anything, but I might crash that. Come on, <laughs> drunk Derek's in this might, yeah. house. Let's talk you might about my lose father. a Derek and get a Derek and a mic. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, so. yeah, yeah I'm going to talk about my Italian father, Luigi Cosi. Like, Nico Mascaracas was my Greek father. Luigi Cosi is my Italian daddy. <laughs> right. Oh, God, don't say it that way. Right. He's my poppy. <laughs> <laughs> and so all that leading up and all those shows uh, leading up into the Paranormal Activity franchise, which is episode 199. And then after that is episode 200, which is a big one. So 
Um, but yeah, so that's what's coming out from 22 Shots. Uh, maybe one of these days I'll make another appearance on Fresh Cuts. I don't know what you guys are doing tomorrow. Uh, what are you guys doing tomorrow on Fresh Cuts? Mortuary Collection. Mm-hmm. Oh, Mortuary Collection. Wow, crazy. That's, I yeah. actually watched that one already. Hey, as long as 22 Shots saws me marked down for the Nightmare franchise, whenever the hell you guys do it. It's, <laughs> it's actually officially on our Google page, page right now. We just need a date for it. Oh, so. well, there we go. Just donated to it. It's happening now. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so, um, but yeah, that's 22 shots, man. So check out the past episodes. We're, next episode will be 195. Man, I can't believe 195 episodes. Crazy. Yeah, I gotta ask, I gotta, I'll talk to you like later about what you have, like what your show itinerary is after um, uh, Italian Horse in a month because that's all booked up, but I'm, I'm just curious to see what you guys are coming up because I I was doing 22 shots of guest spots. I had a nice little streak going, and then just yeah, you were on shows, yeah, for sure. Yeah, you, yeah. I, I made sure you got because you, you tried to leave me in Venom for that show, so that's not going to happen. Well, so, like oh, I said, I know. Oh God, is that still December, an option? <laughs> December's kind of like you know, it's kind of set in stone. Like I mean, like now we got that PA franchise, we've got episode two hundred, and then we've got the viewers' choice, you know, Christmas show that we always do for you know, kind of what we do for Halloween type thing, and yeah, then yeah. we're gonna fit in a what we watch show too, which we always record on our own, and then we just do like an intro and come maybe a couple bonus reviews, and I put the show together, so. That's kind of how we do it because we used to do, you know, what we watch on every type of shows, you know, maybe not franchise and stuff. We used to incorporate those, but we've kind of just got to the point where we just do them like that now. Just make a whole show out of it. So, um, but yeah, no, there's not really a whole lot after that. Come December, obviously the top 20 of 2000, top 20. No, we're not doing Exploding Heads top 20 in 2020. You can't even make a top 10 at this point. Yeah, so a top 10. Yeah, I saw Brandon Jeez. talking about that the other day. He's like, oh, I'm trying to you know, work on my top 20. And I was like, oh, my God, dude. I can't even imagine trying to stress out a top 20 this for this year, dude. Instead of a top 10, it should I be, name me two movies you like this year. Oh, I, I, I was looking at my rankings today, and like, because I, I just, for the first, I'd usually never do this, but I only have three movies with a nine or higher this year. And one of them's a fucking documentary, which I don't really put in my top tens anyways. And I'm like films that are eight and a half only have like five. Like this is crazy, dude. It's crazy. So I don't know. It just seems like most of my movies are between seven and a half and, and six, six and seven and a half is where the majority of my 87 or 88 watches are. So it's crazy. But anyways, top 20, be coming into January and then that's 22 shots. So be on the lookout for those. Yeah. All right. Good shit, man. Well, Lude, thanks for coming back. Like I said, always welcome on here or fresh cuts, whatever works for the schedule. It's always a fun time. <clears throat> yeah, man. Well, thanks for having me, man. I, I really enjoy doing this, you know, maybe next time it, it doesn't have to be Asian cinema. I mean, I enjoy <laughs> doing it, but it doesn't have to be. I mean, no, I told you last just, time, I told you last time that we would let you do a, do some picks for the show next time. It's just the, the circumstance that had you on for your second time was when we already had a show picked out and we kind of like dare reach out to you after the fact. It was yeah. me. It was all but me. Let's next, I got I had to make it up to moods because he always was like. Why isn't Derek ever invite me on any of his shows, motherfucker? God damn it. So, I always like balls about it. So, so your I, third honestly, time on will be the charm, and we'll get you. We'll schedule you in before we actually pick the movies. That way, we'll let you do the picks for the movie or for the okay. episode. Sounds good. Sounds good.
Alright, well that's episode number 25. It's time to descend back into the Lake of Fire. We will see you on this show or you'll hear from us again in November after Halloween where we can hopefully say how fun our, all of our Halloweens were. Yeah, we can go back and... to the Lake of the Fire now the fucking Kamala <laughs> sex. Let's do this show. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and with that, we're out of here. Say goodnight, folks. Good night. That's all the director was trying to say is that she was a she was a zoophile. <laughs> hey, I'll say it. later, folks.